It was you, Hunter. You're damn right it was me, Sean. You're damn right. And I'm glad you found out. I'm glad you know the truth. You know why, Sean? I was trying to prove a point. And the point is, Sean, that you are weak. You are vulnerable. That's why you need me, Sean. That's why you need to be by my side. That's why I wanted you as my manager, Sean. So I could protect you. Sean, I could have protected you, but no. Your ego, your pride wouldn't let that happen, would it, Sean? No. Sean, I could have crippled you in that parking lot, but I didn't. I stopped. I didn't finish the job. But you know what? Nobody else would have stopped. They would have finished the job. They would have crippled your ass. Then what, Sean? What would you have done then when you were a crippled mess, huh? What would you have done when you could no longer walk? You think I'm weak? You think I'm vulnerable? That I can't defend myself anymore? I recognize that I'm not in the best of shape right now. But the doctors have told me that I'll make a full recovery. In fact, they say I'll be 100%. 100% by, say, uh, SummerSlam. a bit of a break from the norm just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control it's cool to dance but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance give me a soft subtle mix and if it ain't broke then don't try to fix it and think of the summers of the past adjust the bass and let the alpine blast pop in my cd and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back because it's the summertime Hello again and welcome to episode number 80, 80 of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. And here we are, Patrick, entering the second week of June for 2018. What do you have for us from the news desk today? This is episode 80. You know who's looking 80? Triple H and Shawn Michaels with those beards. Holy shit. That's true. We just watched some video from the WWE's For Your Consideration panel, which apparently you have to do these now, where if you want your show to be nominated for Emmys, you do like a Comic-Con panel and put all your characters on stage, and they sit there and talk about your product, and they do it in front of uh, the people who make the Emmy nominations. And so WWE comprises panel, and it was a very strangely assembled panel. It looked like you had Roman Reigns, Charlotte, Charlotte, Triple H, Stephanie, of course. And Sean. And Sean Michaels. HBK. Who has not been on television, you know, in an active role in but quite some time. He, he's a huge part backstage, though. He, he's, he's doing a lot to help the kids out that way. Sean and Hunter, who make up a big portion of this week's review, yes, they are looking pretty ancient Damn, with these dude. cavemen beards that they're Holy shit. having. And so they were on this panel, and the reason we were watching the clips is because the story said 
oh, they booed Roman Reigns, but in the clips we heard, they didn't boo they Roman didn't Reigns boo because Roman. Roman Reigns put you to sleep with his answers. This was a very boring panel. This was a panel not for Yeah, wrestling. Charlotte looked like she was going to fall off her chair, like dead asleep. What the questions reminded me of sort of was like Miss America questions. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, Miss America, by the way. No, no, no more, more swimsuits. No more swimsuits. They, they're like WWE. They're cleaning up their act. They it's are. a women's revolution. It is. The questions reminded me of Miss America. How do you save the world? How? What, what role do you think social media plays in our lives? Roman Reigns, take it away. You're a social media expert, and Roman Reigns is just... I have yet to see or hear anything of him on social media that makes any viable sense whatsoever. Well, I remember when he got suspended for uh, whatever he got suspended for. He announced it on Twitter, so there was one use of social media. Well, he didn't get in trouble, but he was in pictures. You know how you, you're big into heels and faces can't hang out or whatever. A wrestler, they were on... Kayfabe, babe. They were on an overseas trip somewhere, and they took a picture of Braun and Roman, you know, shoulder to shoulder, hanging out, just being best buds, and that was... That was when they were in a feud with each other. So that's how he's used social media. That's all I can tell. But all his answers were very, they felt scripted, much like the promos you see on Monday Night Raw. Oh, I mean, very much so. I mean, he said, smiles on faces. I mean, that that phrase does not come up in normal human conversation. No pro wrestler you're sitting down with would ever just, they would never just cite, oh, smiles on faces you know that yeah. is something that's been fed to him so yeah the big dog's got oh, i swear to god he's probably got an earpiece in his ear and vince is sitting out there in a panel van outside feeding him a bunch of bullshit oh that would be really awesome actually if that was revealed in the video but no unfortunately i think he memorized this stuff so it's terrible for emmy nominations the wwe's production value should get some kind of awards i the mean production just, team yeah the production team that I actually want to see the head production guy up there talking about how they pull their shots off. I don't want to see fucking Roman Reigns up there talking about, oh yeah, we're such a great show. We put smiles. I don't think on you faces. want Kevin Dunn up there talking. I man. do. Oh, I don't think. Why not? Jim Cornette has already because he's like Weasley. He's just not a good speaker. There's a reason he's behind the camera and behind the. There's a reason he's in the control room and not. A character. Even on the WWE corporate website, his picture's not up there. His name is, but you won't find a picture of him because he just doesn't do that stuff. He's just not, he's not a people person. Their production team is one of the best, and, yeah. you know, they give out Emmys to like Monday Night Football for the way they're produced and for all these other sports shows. So I think WWE definitely deserves some sort of recognition for the way the show's produced. Despite their errors from time to time, it's a really, to produce as many hours of TV as they do at the quality that it's produced at, it's pretty impressive. Oh yeah, absolutely. It's not like this show where quality varies episode to episode from, you know, in our 80 episodes, they do, you know, between Raw and SmackDown, they do over 100 episodes a year just right there. And I mean, you can't really tell a dip in, you can't say, oh, well this looks, you know, way worse than last week or whatever it's a solid production it is solid yeah it is and we have our ups and we have our downs but everybody does but i i feel like yes they're worthy i actually do want to see kevin dunn or or someone someone from behind the scenes get the actual credit not have that even goes for charlotte i don't want to see charlotte up there talking about it i, I think that light needs to be shined on those that that do their job you know what I'm saying? They always, you always have the the limelight on the on the wrestlers and the referees and yeah, who's in front of the week, camera week well, you, to week. But you do need to shine some light on the on the ones that are putting, working behind the scenes, putting up the ring, taking down the ring, hanging up lighting, setting cameras, working the soundboard, working the. 
I mean, all of that. You need to you need to shed a little bit of light on them as well. Well, in my opinion, which is what the warrior war the a warrior award was going to be to begin with, but that, well, that's what he wanted. That went to shit too. So I don't think Emmy nominations will be coming WWE's way, but it was something they showed up and did. So this company that gets that'll get over two billion dollars from their TV deals not worth an Emmy for some reason. It's weird how life works. I think they'd take the two billion dollars over any Emmy. Any day of the week, though. No award can take the place of $2 billion. It's true. I will gladly take the $2 billion, and you can keep all your awards. The XFL has hired... The XFL hired a man named Oliver Luck. Oliver Luck. If you don't know who Oliver Luck is, Oliver Luck is... He was the athletics director of West Virginia. He was the CEO of the Houston Sports Authority. And this is why he got hired. He was the head of regulatory affairs with the NCAA. Oh, okay. And he's also the dad of... Colts quarterback Andrew Luck, who hasn't played the last couple of years because of a bad back, but recently news came out that said he was about to throw football again, so we'll see if Andrew Luck ever gets back on the field, but this is his dad, Oliver. Oh, he'll throw a football in the XFL. Maybe. Maybe that's what the conspiracy here is. So Oliver Luck uh, brings all this experience with uh, the NCAA, which is a behemoth. I mean, the NCAA, as much as I like to talk about how poorly the WWE treats its workers, the NCAA has uh, taken Vince McMahon and blown him away because, I mean, college athletes are not paid a dime. Uh, the NCAA makes billions and billions and billions of dollars from the basketball tournament, the football tournament. Everything they do, they take all the advertising dollars. The kids do get scholarships, so yeah, they do get you know, a full ride to school. But there's but no there, there's no money going in their pocket. They're not getting paid to do... It's a small blip on the, on the radar compared to how much money they're making for their school. Alabama football, for instance. Think about how much money this team generates every year. And I, I don't watch NFL. I don't. The South, we're college football. That's, that's us. I'm a diehard Tennessee Vols fan. That's just me. We suck. We've sucked since we lost Peyton Manning. But you know what? I'm still going to stick well, with him. Actually, them. you won your uh, national championship without Peyton Manning. So well, it was shortly thereafter. We've sucked since 98. Let's put it that way. And so, But I still stick behind them. Yeah, like you said, Alabama, you know, that that's that they've won more titles, I think, than any other college football team out there. And just like Ric Flair's number, it's uh, somewhat off. Some people think it's a certain number, and some people think it's a different number. Because the, the national title holder wasn't determined by a game until the last couple decades or so. Yeah. Like, it used to be, yeah, 20 years exactly, because it was like the Vols and uh, Florida State. That was like the first of its kind, like the first right. national title game where... Because it used to be... That the just ra- rankings. Yeah, it used to be rankings in the Rose Bowl. We're a college football domain as it pertains to here in the South. And so we don't much care for NFL, although there are some diehard NFL fans here in the no, South No, I like well. pro football a lot better than college football really? because the level of play is so much better. Oh, see, no, I differ. I differ. The I, quality of play. There's no comparison. These are men versus boys we're talking about. This is the best of the best. But a quarterback's too scared to take a sack and would rather throw the ball away because he doesn't want to take a chance on getting hurt and losing millions of dollars instead of a teenage boy out there. You know what? I'm not losing. I'm not dropping this ball. And he'll take a hit nine times out of ten 
square on the chin. I don't want to get into the debate. I just find pro football to be better. It's just a, it's just preference. But the what the point I was trying to make in general though is just that. All the money these universities take in, even if you give your kids scholarships, you still take in so much more. And the NCAA oh, yeah. is the kingpin of all this. Oh, yeah. The NCAA, effectively, I don't want to go too far out of my way here when I say this, but really don't do much. What is the NCAA? It's just this broad term. It's just this organization, this overseeing body. It doesn't actually put on the games. It no, it's the NW. It's the NWA of pro wrestling. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's an just, overseeing body that dictates. It's a, it's a mob. It's the mafia. Yeah, yeah, that will dictate who gets to play who, and we'll suspend people, and we'll handle all the dirty stuff. We'll dictate. But we'll take all the money. We'll dictate rankings and all that stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, so it's a shitty system. But anyway, Oliver Luck comes from that system, and so, of course, he fits right in with Vince McMahon's idea of, you know, how to do business. So He said, it's not often the opportunity, the opportunity to build a professional football league from scratch comes along. I was very inspired after my sit-down visit with Vince McMahon and his key ingredients and, la- and relaunching the XFL. That is a uh, summarization that I'm reading off of Yahoo Sports that he made about his visit, his first sit-down with Vince. And so apparently it went on to him him signing. And so He's going to be the commissioner. He is, is he? He is the Roger Goodell of the XFL. He is the man that wields the power. I guess Vince doesn't want to be the commissioner and the owner. He's just going to be the owner. I still have... A lot of doubts as to whether this XFL thing will make it to the field, let alone be successful. So it launches in 2020. We will see. I, I am pulling strings here trying to get us an XFL team here in Chattanooga. Finley Stadium needs an XFL football team. Well, I don't want to knock our city, but this isn't a really great sports town. And this is and this goes for this goes for Nashville and this goes for Atlanta and surrounding cities, Birmingham, which had an XFL team. In right. the past, these are not great sports towns. I'm sorry. I, I like. You can just look around. I don't know. Atlanta's pretty pretty big when it comes to the the Falcons. They are and the bandwagon Hawks. fans. That, that's what we have a lot of. Not diehard. Our team. When our team sucks, we're not going to go to the game. We're not like Cleveland Browns fans. <laughs> that's true. You know, Cleveland Browns. Have Philadelphia not, Eagles. They'll sit on the stands even if they're losing. <laughs> that's Phillies true. fans. That's true. Red Sox fans. That's true. Those cities are diehard sports towns, that's and true. they live and die with their teams, and they go whether they have won all the games or whether they've won none of the games. We don't do that. And if the Titans and the Falcons and the Braves. And the Hawks and all these teams that are around here, outside of the Predators, the Predators, the hockey team, the only reason we're so diehard about the Predators is because we almost lost the Predators. The Predators almost moved to Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, uh, so we almost lost our hockey team. So now fans know we have to go to all the games. We well, ha- well we had the Thrashers in Atlanta, and, and we, we lost, lost them to Canada. Yes, yeah. the Winnipeg Jets. But these other teams, no, we just if they're not winning, fuck it. I'm not going to the game. And then, like, even the Falcons, when, I mean, the Falcons on their Super Bowl run, maybe a couple of years before that, they got fined by the NFL because they were piping in crowd noise, like how WCW used to do with Goldberg and pipe in chants. And even when the place was, like, halfway full, they're so insecure. We're just not good fans. We're just not. And in Chattanooga, 
you walk around, you say, what's your favorite football team? Vols, 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 Alabama, Crimson Tide, Roll Tide Roll, Georgia Bulldogs. None of them will say, oh, the UTC mocks. They're just right here. I'll just go root for them. I went to, I went, true story. I went to the mocks uh, homecoming football game wearing a Vols jacket because it was cold that night. Got into a fist fight with a man whose son was playing on the field because I was wearing a Vols jacket to a UTC Mox game. Well, I don't think your jacket really matters. Where I said people can wear whatever they want whenever they but want. But that ju- that's just that's that's my point though is because people around here don't really give a shit about the Mox. No, they don't. The, they, and, and, and that's in our town. That, and I mean, the basketball team is usually actually pretty good, and usually that's true. Our, our basketball, our basketball program here in Chattanooga is a lot better than than our football program. Well, and it's a lot better than most, I think, schools of its size. Yeah. And the football team was making the playoffs like a few, like two or three years ago. Now it's not anymore. But even the basketball team, when they're successful, they can't fill up that arena. That's why they want to get rid of that arena because it's too big. We can't fill it up, and that's just how we are. I'm sorry. Like even our. The only thing, our soccer team draws about 4,000 people. And they seem to be, they seem to have, the soccer team here has seemed to have found some kind of crowd that that shows up. But all these other teams, I just don't care. I mean, I think it also has to do with being not not a big city where the stadium's just right down the street. I mean, driving, I know it sounds like, it sounds stupid, but like driving 30, 45 minutes to the stadium or whatever when in a big town you can hop on the subway and be there in 15, 20. Yeah. And it feels more... And you have more people and there's just a bigger neighborhood of... It's easier to find other fans and find... So I think it has something to do with us being not... Like even Atlanta... Atlanta's a huge city, but Atlanta doesn't have a transit system like the bigger cities do, so there's not... I don't know, because it's still a commuter town. People don't live in downtown Atlanta. People drive to downtown Atlanta, and then they drive home, and that's it. So there's a disconnect. So who knows? So if the XFL brings a team here, I would be worried about how well we pack the stadium for it. We'll pipe in chance. Yeah, we've learned our... We learned all the tricks. Yeah, we'll, we'll pipe in cheers and chants. Well, I mean, you could just put a green screen around, you know, the edge of the field, and then just, you know, key in your graphics of this massive filled stadium, and just, you know, make it Hollywood. You know, just that's just true. It's a lot lie. better than painting them on the wall. Yeah, but going on—that's an inside joke for us here in the South. Um, moving on to our our next here, uh, Okada Omega Four. Kenny, yes, Kenny Omega finally walked away the victor. This morning we're recording on six nine, so that meant of course New Japan's Dominion card was occurring early this morning, and I don't have a subscription to New Japan World, so I didn't get to watch it. But I got to watch most of the main event because people on Twitter were tweeting, they were tweeting out gifs of the uh, main event, so I basically saw like some of the high spots from. Some of the big spots from the main event, Okada and Omega. Uh, this card had some other notables on it. It was the debut of Rey Mysterio Jr. in the promotion. Worked as a uh, six-man tag. He did. He took on the Bullet Club, and he was joined by Jushin Liger, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and they took on the Bullet Club consisting of Cody, Hangman Page, and Marty Skrull. And uh, they were defeated by the Bullet Club, but Rey's outfit was pretty awesome he has like it's like a flame mask like it's like the new japan colors and stuff yeah he was very stylish not as stylish as chris jericho who wore sort of weird glam rock face paint in his match against 
Naito and defeated Naito for the the IC title. Yes, the IWGP Intercontinental Championship defeated him in 17 minutes, 16 seconds, so it looks like Jericho will be sticking around for at least a little while longer in New Japan Pro Wrestling. And then, of course, yes, the main event, two years in the making from the first time they met at Wrestle Kingdom, their fourth match on a big stage, Okada and Kenny Omega. It was a no-time limit, two-out-of-three falls match for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship It went one hour, four minutes, and 50 seconds. With Omega coming back, Omega lost the first fall to Okada and then won the last two falls. He won it with the one-winged angel, which was consistent booking because Okada had never been able to kick out of this move, but also Omega was never able to hit it. And they kept the finisher strong, and when he hit it, that was it. That was it, yeah. Both times he hit it. That was it. He stayed down for a three count. And so the 720-day title reign of Okada comes to a close, one of the longest in the modern era. That terrific title reign has come to an end, and it's... Yeah, I mean, that's borderlining... I don't want to give it too much credit, but that's borderlining, like, Bruno San, Bruno San Martino kind of title run. That's, well, they're a few thousand days apart, but... Still, though, that's... When was the last title run you've had that was over two years? I mean, that's... That's impressive. It's tough to do, especially in today's... Yeah. The way wrestling is booked today, it's highly unlikely that this will happen immediately. I don't I don't I, see anyone else... It's not going to happen in WWE. Oh, definitely. They can't keep belts on people, other than Brock, who just doesn't show up to work. Oh, yeah. That's how he's, that's how he's held that's it. That's the best... Hey, you got to do it however you got to do it. They don't enforce the 30-day non-compete, you know. Apparently not. Yeah. Omega becomes the first ever Canadian IWGP heavyweight champion, and he captures this belt right before New Japan comes and does those shows at the Cow Palace in the U.S. So they put it on a Canadian coming to do U.S. shows. So it seems very, the timing is all very convenient, Patrick. All ends right around the corner as well. That's true. I don't know what his involvement will be at all in. And if he'll be champion, but we shall see. And uh, I'm intrigued about this all-in. The more and more I hear about it, I did not know anything about it till you told me. But the more and more I hear about it, the more and more I'm I'm intrigued. I wanna I wanna check into it some more. I'm sure you can scalp tickets somewhere. Well, Brenton sold his tickets for. He made two hundred and fifty dollar profit off his tickets that he bought. What? So he's not. Yeah, that's how hot the ticket is. So. His plan, I don't think, was to scalp them. I think he wanted to go. He, but he, he wanted to go. But he but... couldn't get out of work or something. I don't want to go to Chicago. So. Speaking of All In, uh, CM Punk, who is also from Chicago, the site of All In, coming up in September. His lawsuit is over. His lawsuit that he was involved in with Dr. Chris Amon from the WWE. The CM Punk lawsuit has come to a close with Colt Cabana also as co-defendant, basically. And uh, CM Punk and Colt Cabana got off the hook. They do not have to pay Dr. Amon, which was asking for like $4 million, like a dollar per every download of this particular podcast that they were on. <laughs> like, it was an exuberant amount of money. And reading the notes from the case, like, this doctor didn't suffer any real damages other than people he said, him. booing him and... Hateful tweets. Hateful tweets. Those, that was worth $4 million at least. No, it you wasn't. Don't like, hey, you don't like me. You can go out there and hateful tweet me all you want. I don't give a shit. You're not going to come asking for $4 million no. and drag a court case from this 
this case basically started in the late part of 2014. So this drug on for four years. And it also happened to fall on the week of Punk's UFC fight, which he's fighting later tonight. So we'll see if Punk can make it two wins this week. I doubt it. I have my doubts as well. Considering he was in a courtroom for his last two weeks of camp, basically. Yeah. like The most important part of training, and he's sitting on his ass in a courtroom. Yeah, it's I, almost like WWE scheduled it that way. Sort of like how they scheduled his release on his the day of his wedding. So, yeah, I don't know. I'm just a conspiracy theorist, I guess. But You have to be in wrestling. The only people covering this uh, lawsuit trial were some people from WrestleZone.com. And their coverage really reminded me how often news is just taken and copied and regurgitated because no one else was in that courtroom that whole week other than these two guys from WrestleZone and a guy from the Chicago paper. They, yeah. Those were the three people there. And so all these other wrestling news sites took their work, reworded it, and then spit it out. And there you go. I mean, WrestleZone got a lot of... I mean, they're getting mentioned here, but they're getting mentioned on... You know, some other websites did cite them, so they are getting... And I mean, it like crashed their website. They had so much traffic from it. Congrats to them and good job. But it also just highlighted to me that people just plagiarize your work, you know, left yeah. and right. So you sit in you sit in a shitty courtroom all week where they weren't allowed to have phones or computers or anything. They were taking handwritten notes. Yeah. They did that for a week, and so other people could just take that their work and then turn it around and give it back. So CM Punk, as soon as he walked out of the courtroom, uh, one of the guys from WrestleZones pulls him aside and just asks him about the case and if how happy he is and all this stuff. But his last question is, are you all in? And Punk says, no, I am not. So Punk has denied it. And then in later interviews said, I am done with professional wrestling. He is. He, he has is. said it multiple, multiple times now. He, he does not want to go back. He is done. He is over. He is finished. It is. It's. But here's the thing. <laughs> Everybody's pissed off that he still uses his name CM Punk, even though he's not in wrestling anymore. But that's how he's known. That That's exactly what I said. That'd be like Hulk Hogan saying, I'm not Hulk anymore, brother. I'm Terry Bollea. Yeah. Exactly. Which, in court, he seemed to distinguish they were two different people. So, anyway. Stone Cold Steve Austin, his name is just Steve Williams. He's not going to be going as Steve Williams. Shawn Michaels, Sean Higginbottom, is not going to be walking around, Hi, I'm Mr. Sean Higginbottom, nice to meet you. These are professional names. It's like when actors and actresses change their name, some people don't even know they ever did it. Like That's true. Charlie Sheen, that's not his real name. Yeah, that's true. So, Hey, you haven't heard much out of Charlie Sheen, actually. Yeah, well, that's because he's sick, you know? He's got uh, HIV or whatever. Oh, really? I, I <laughs> knew I knew it was talked about that he may have. I didn't know if it was ever confirmed. No, he went on the Today Show and confirmed it, yeah. so. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, that's why he hasn't been. And then wasn't going to traditional doctors, of course, because he's Charlie Sheen. He went to Mexico. Well, yeah, because he's got tiger's blood. <laughs> Tiger's blood. Well, if that's what comes in tiger's blood, I think I'll pass. So now it's time to take a trip back to 2002. Austin leaving the WWE saga. We left you on a cliffhanger last week. When Austin walked out, turns out he would stay gone. We've already talked about that. We got done filming, and so we watched... You and I personally watched... We watched episode 480, which... I don't know which date that took place on. Was it two weeks before this? It wasn't the go-home show. It's from August 5th, 2002. After we got done with the review last week, we went ahead and watched the August 5th, 2002 edition of Raw, where... One of my favorite segments ever in the history of Raw. 
I actually love this segment, the way it's put together, the way it's produced, the excitement, the way the crowd pops when Shawn Michaels challenges Triple H one more time, he's stepping in the ring at SummerSlam. That place went ballistic. I think it would have been a little bit better had it not been on the Titantron. Anyway, that Raw took place in Baltimore, Maryland, and that is, yes, uh, the week before, someone had beaten poor Shawn Michaels. He was just trying to get in his car, just trying to go home for the day. and Slammed uh, his head into a car window. Someone, yeah, beat the shit out of this guy. And so, of course, his best friend, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, is going to play Scooby-Doo in this episode from August 5th, and he's going to go around and ask everybody in the locker room, all the heels, hey, did you beat up Shawn Michaels? And he's going to hold his little sledgehammer in front of him, and they're going to say, no, no, I didn't. And so uh, Mr. Scooby-Doo, Hunter Hearst Helmsley, comes out at the end of the night. and uh, Well, Eric Bischoff calls him out. Oh, yeah, Eric says, I've got Sean on uh, satellite for you. Go out there and have a chat with him. Eric Bischoff, who, by the way, had come back since uh, the last time, uh, since that Raw we watched, Eric Bischoff had returned and became GM. I'm sure he would have been in the NWO had that whole thing stayed together, but instead he was now the GM of Raw and Stephanie was the GM of SmackDown. And so Eric says, yeah, go out to the ring. I've got Sean. We, you can just talk to not, him. Not to interrupt, but let's specify this. In, in a little over a month. Uh, all, two months, because that was from okay. June. Austin leaves. Bischoff shows back up in wrestling. NWO is gone. HBK <laughs> stepping back in the yeah, ring. Try and follow all this. HBK, Rock is now Rock champion. is now champion. I mean, this is a cl- you're heading into one of your big four, and the foundation of of what you had planned and wrote the script was out the window. It was gone. It got it, shaken up. It got shaken up bad, like oh, yeah, bad, but- bad. And so they clamored. And rewrote this entire this entire script, this entire rivalry, the whole foundation of the WWE in this like two month period to get still put on a hell of a fucking show with SummerSlam 2002. I just wanted to, uh, the fans might not realize that, but this is a very key p- part in wrestling per se coming out of the early 2000s. A key moment. Well, I will say my, on a different, a on key a, time on a, a behind-the-scenes time. So much happening on camera. Just, I mean, all the changes yeah. happening in a very rapid amount of time. So in June, the episode we watched, Vince and Ric Flair are the co-owners or GMs, basically. Yeah. And now it has shifted, and Ric Flair is just a regular wrestler. Nice of Vince to let him keep his job, by yeah. the way. He tried to take over my company, but I'll let you, I'll let you wrestle. Kane, or I mean, not Kane, uh, Kevin Nash blows out his knee. He does, yes. On a Bischoff, the very next week is brought back to run Raw since Flair's not in charge anymore. Yes, Stephanie's assigned to SmackDown. We do a brand split. Well, that was already done. Oh, okay. Well, uh, yeah, so Stephanie but is set for SmackDown. Bischoff brings Triple H over from yeah. SmackDown because he originally went to SmackDown. Correct. And uh, after this pay-per-view, after SummerSlam, The Undertaker would go to SmackDown and would never return again, basically. Like... It wasn't until after 2011 when the brand split ended that Undertaker came back to Raw ever again. Like, it's pretty crazy that that happened. But, and then June, where we left you, the Undertaker was the champion. Well, after Austin walked out, The Rock came back two weeks later, and it ended up being Undertaker, Kurt Angle, and The Rock in the pay-per-view before SummerSlam, Vengeance. King of the Ring. Oh, you're right, Vengeance. Vengeance, yeah. 
So at Vengeance, which took place in July, uh, you had uh, Rock pin Kurt Angle to win Undertaker's belt. So now you've got it all set up for your King of the Ring champion, which apparently this year it comes with a title shot. Patrick, did you know that was uh, accompanied with... I, I did not. Well, for Brock Lesnar it was, because usually it for doesn't... For the likes of Kurt Angle and Edge and Ken RVD, Shamrock. Ken Shamrock... The rest of these guys, Owen Hart, uh, Wade Barrett, yeah, you know you, Booker T. Congrats! You just here's a crown. Go have some fun with it. You William, know? William Regal, you, yeah. You need a you now you now are owed a world title match. So you need to be contacting Vince and asking for your your title match. A little unfair, in my opinion. Yeah, everything has pretty much changed. Since that episode, that's what I'm saying. While wrestling was still a lot, I hate this shit when people say, "Oh, well, the wrestling died after the you know Vince bought WCW. There was no just wrestling took a a, you know took a big step back. The competition, little. This right here, the I think is still great because the conglomerating capacity in the back, scrambling every which way to put on a huge show, a huge pay-per-view for SummerSlam, and the timeline in which they had to do it, and yet still scramble to put together a hell of a format. You started seeing storylines blur again like we had talked about last week, and it was just it was very exciting. I enjoyed it. It it had an attitude feel to it, if that makes sense. The product still felt very much like a uh, hotter... Like an early uh, or a late 90s. Yeah, it still felt like a very hot program. In fact, I think this SummerSlam card, as far as wrestling goes, is one of the better cards they had produced. Even a lot of those cards in the late 90s and through 2000. I mean, up until Benoit and Eddie get there... And you get more depth with, like, ECW guys coming over and so like Rob Van Dam. You know, that middle of the card was pretty weak at yeah. points. And so you can go back and, like, WrestleMania 2000 is one of the worst shows I think I've ever seen. And that goes not just for WrestleMania. It's just shows in general. It is terrible. And that happened, and, you know, when people would be like, oh, that was the good old days, you know. 2000, that was the good old days. But this SummerSlam card's way better than that. Yeah. And this happens, yeah, after people think, oh, that, when Austin turned heel, that was it. And WCW was gone, that was it. And so unofficially, you know, they put the marker there at X7 and say, that's it. Everything after that was, you know, it was going back down. But it did a little bit, but I think this still felt very hot. This felt yeah. a lot hotter than any... Uh, non-WrestleMania card they've put out, you know, yeah, in a long time. In a long time, yeah, exactly. And most SummerSlam cards. Yeah. They threw whatever book they had up until June 5th or whatever it was. They threw that book out, and they had their plan B all written and ready to go, and uh, they executed it and uh, got what they wanted, which was their man, Brock, ha- you know, this guy. I mean, shoot him to the moon. D- we're coming off of Vengeance where he beat the shit out of Hogan, smears Hogan's blood all over his body, all over his chest, just like, you know, showing pride, you know, he's proud of his kill kind of thing. The blood of Hulkamania is on me. That's right. It literally was. It was. As much as people complain about, like a Roman Reigns push, this is like that on steroids. Oh, which good is a- God, yes. This guy, man. Shows up in March, hasn't even been there a year, and is already... You know, he's main eventing four months in against The Rock, not yeah. just a main event. He on just, I mean, he just dominated. And if you go back and watch that match, 
he dominated. He dominates this match as he well. Yeah, dominated Hogan. I mean, it was Goldberg on steroids. He dominated Hogan. I don't like him. I've been very. We we are aware of this. We've been very. I've been very open about it. I, I'm. I don't like him. Oh, it was from an episode of SmackDown. That was actually on SmackDown. But on the August eighth edition of SmackDown is when Brock destroyed Hulkamania. Oh, okay. And so, yeah, I personally, I'm just not a fan of him. But I do, I do have to give him his props on being able to keep up with the capacity in which he was being pushed and the capacity in which he was being given, well, the opportunity in which he was being given and jumping on it and riding it till, the old saying, ride it till it bucks you or don't ride it at all, he rode it the full eight seconds. He always delivered in the ring. That's something I can't say, like, oh, you know, because I don't think Roman's, at this time. Roman's boring in the ring. Yeah, I just find Roman to be boring in the ring, and so yeah. I think that's the difference between my contempt for the two is because I actually think Brock is at this time was really amazing especially when he was younger in the ring and uh, always delivered there uh, despite you know having this massive push behind him I think one of the things I didn't like about this from what I remember watching this when I was a younger man was I didn't really like that Paul Heyman would interfere I thought that was kind of weird. I know that he's... I wish it was more like now where Heyman's out there, but he doesn't... He don't do shit. He just He's not an active... Yeah. yeah. Because you have this monster. I mean, the monster shouldn't need this little tubby man's help to go punch and kick a guy behind the ref's back. So I always... That kind of really annoyed me, and it was in every Brock match. Every. Yeah. Every single match. Up until Heyman turned on him and joined the big show, because that's going to take you places, Paul. And so, up until that, like, he was interfering, and I just got sick of that. Like, I hated, I hate, like, just constantly never giving clean finish. So it's August 25th, 2002, we go to the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York on Long Island, a building which is currently vacant. And on the WWE Network version, SummerSlam just sort of starts. It just says, Yeah, you don't get any type of, you don't get, you know why? believe it had been lying yeah but he they didn't cut his match out so i don't know i just found it wherever they clipped this thing it didn't use uh they didn't use copyrighted music because it's a jim johnston song that they use so i don't i don't know what the issue was here we didn't see the heat match patrick because the the year 2000 upwards of sunday night heat not on the network so we couldn't go back and enjoy Spike Dudley defeating Steven Richards. Little Spike Dudley. Your boy had fallen far since June. He was the hardcore champion, and now he's jobbing a Spike Dudley on heat. Come on, Stevie. Get it together, man. Michael Cole welcomes us and plugs the title match. And, of course, Sean versus Triple H in an unsanctioned match, which just happens to have a referee on TV and it's an unsanctioned street fight which, which will have a winner entrance music themes pyro unsanctioned yeah. we don't approve of this we're just going to do everything else <laughs> we just want you to know we don't approve well, that way if someone gets hurt then they're not liable for oh, it. okay well th- then they should say that about every match is just this is unsanctioned there will be some rules but it's we don't approve of it this is very bad there really isn't rules. There wasn't rules in this one. By the way, I the Sean and, and Hunter thing from that episode of Raw that... Um, that we watched. Yeah. From August 5th, 2002, the... Uh, so what happened was uh, Hunter was caught on security... Well, someone was, someone was caught on security cameras beating up Sean, and 
they would replay it later on in the night here, but so it's blurred out, and somehow Shawn Michaels has amazing technology. Well, it clear it, it, it cleans yes. up the blurry screen. Shawn, I guess, invented the cable descrambler because this man is an amazing. What well, is 2002? I'm sure that we had one at this point. In I'm time. sure the FBI had this technology, but not. Well, WWE. the FBI was trying to help figure out who assaulted poor Shawn Michaels. Oh yes, it was a federal case. It was. What's funny about this, and when they showed it later on in SummerSlam, is you know even with that blurry pixel, the way Hunter is standing, only Hunter Hearst Helmsley stands with his arms to the sides, oh, like, laid out. Yeah. Like both. <laughs> Like, all muscular outside, can't put his fucking arms down like a normal person. And he's wearing a black t-shirt. And his head's turned sideways, so you've got that big-ass fucking nose. You You can't blur that out. You can't blur that out. So, Sean solved that it was Hunter, and Hunter said, you're damn right. So, Hunter made himself look stupid earlier in the night. He wasted his own time walking around asking all these people who assaulted Shawn hey, Michaels. Listen, he's got to he's got to cover in his tracks. He's got to cover the tracks. He's got to play the part. He's got to make it look like he actually cares when really he didn't mean he didn't give a shit. Kurt Angle walks to the ring and this is the you suck chant has already descended upon us and it is hotter here than it is today as oh God. GM, I mean. They wanted to let Kurt Angle know that he sucks. Just so we are clear on this, ever since Austin walked, another change happened. We got a WCW signee in Rey Mysterio Jr. Oh yeah, another moving piece of the puzzle, which the result of this match will have have you scratch your head a little bit. Oh, we got this hot new signee. Beat him. Yeah. Beat him. Crush him. Beat the shit out of him. He's a little man. (laughs) He's not a big man. Fuck him. <laughs> and if I'm, mis- I could be mistaken, but Ray was the first to bounce over from W from WCW after the whole invasion bullshit. After the whole, uh, well, the uh, NWO would have been the first. Well, Hogan and all those guys. Okay, yeah. And then he was probably next of guys that. Because I'm their- just saying, you you got Ray, and then you, you end up with Goldberg, and then you end Steiner. up with Steiner, and you end up with. You start seeing those pop into place, then eventually it ends up with Sting and well, as being the last one. Yeah, well, ten years down the road, this I, is one of the first guys uh, after the NWO guys that they brought over when his uh, WCW contract had ended. He sat out his contract. Yeah, and uh, wasn't like uh, the only two people that had guaranteed deals that took the WWE's offer were uh, DDP Booker and T. Booker T. Yeah. The only top guys that would have had a lot of money, like, were probably giving up a little bit to come in. Well, and I even think Awesome, Mike Awesome had, I mean, I considered him a top talent. He'd already gotten his money, I think. Who's that jumping out the sky? You mentioned it. Ray Mysterio. Here we go. Ray jumps angle in the ring. So Ray doesn't come down the ramp. He does a heelish thing and jumps Kurt he jumps from behind. He jumps from behind. He runs through the fans and jumps him from behind. Yeah. Or he's under the ring, one of the two. <laughs> he was probably in the ring. He's he's just so little we didn't see him. <laughs> Where's the magnifying glass? Angle quickly locks in the ankle lock, but Ray makes it to the ropes. Ray hits a drop toe hold and tries the 619, but misses. Taz states that Angle needs to ground Mysterio, which is a good strategy. Angle hits a snap suplex to Ray. Angle sucks chance start up. Angle hits a big German suplex to Ray and follows that with a clothesline. Angle gets the heat on Mysterio for a long time. Hits a sidewalk slam to Ray. Gets a two count. And then puts Ray in what looks like the lion tamer. 
Like Chris Jericho's Lion Tamer, yeah. here, basically. Ray almost steals a win by rolling Kurt up in the Lion Tamer for a near fall. Like inside cradles him. Angle tries the Olympic slam, but Ray escapes with an arm drag. Kurt dives after Mysterio, who pulls down the top rope, and Kurt ends up outside the ring. Oh, Kurt tries to get in the ring. Mysterio knocks him down by the leg, so Kurt's outside selling his leg. He's getting ready to go and run, and he's going to j- fly out over. Well, the referee, whoa, whoa, he's hurt. Hang on a minute. Yeah, geez, you, what are you doing, Jimmy Corderas? Stop. Let me check on him first. You know, make sure he can still compete. So Jimmy Corderas turns around, he sticks his head out through the, the, the second and third rope, and he's like, hey, you know, you all right? Everything good? And next thing you know, out of nowhere, Ray flips over top of him and hits him with a sit-on. Yeah, Ray hits a uh, somersaulting senton right over Jimmy Corderas. Right over him. <laughs> that was very rude of the referee to interfere in this matchup. I, he was Listen, it's my it's my right and privilege to put a stop to anything and check and make sure that one competitor is okay to continue. Naturally, this gets a huge reaction because, you know, no one else in WWE was doing stuff like this. Mysterio rolls Angle in the ring, hits a springboard leg drop to the back of Angle's head. Ouch. Only scores a two count. Angle catches Mysterio trying to move off the second rope. Catches him in the electric chair position, but Mysterio escapes. Hits the 619 and the West Coast Pop. This 619, or no, sorry, the West Coast Pop was so ugly to watch with a man who has knowingly had a broken neck. This was so freaking... Yeah, Kurt did not look like he wanted to take this. This It put him square on top of his head. Put him square. I didn't roll with it. Didn't shoulder kind of drop his neck. It put him square on top of his head, and I thought he rebroke his neck. It was like happening in slow motion. It, it was, was ugly to watch. It was Austin and Owen Hart neck first. Ugly to watch. Mysterio hits a spinning heel kick, climbs to the top rope, but he sees that Angle's trying to attack him, so he does a backflip and lands awkwardly on his legs, and I'm like, uh-oh, he's blew out his knee on his first big pay-per-view outing here. But Ray was okay. He drop kicks Angle, and now Angle is seated on the top turnbuckle. Mysterio tries the top turnbuckle, Hurricane Rana. I love this. But Angle slips out of it and locks in the ankle lock, and Mysterio taps out. And it looked like Angle was actually supposed to catch Mysterio midair coming down from this Hurricane Rana attempt and lock in the ankle lock. He just kind of slipped through his hands. And fell down on his ass and quickly turned. And but he, I yeah. think it looked a lot better this it way, fi- It looked fine. It, you know, I can forgive it because it was such an ambitious spot anyway. Oh, yeah. It wasn't like... And, I mean, it was the final spot of the match, and Kurt covered it well. And But the sad thing is, okay, Mysterio, you know, he's brand new. First pay-per-view outing. Tap-a-roo. Tap, tap, tap. Not a, t- not a pin. He tapped. He tapped. Now, he did tap to someone the likes of Kurt Angle. Yeah, an Olympic gold medalist. So, I mean... And, I mean, knowing what they had planned for Kurt Angle down the line, you got to keep Kurt Angle strong. Oh, that's true. Even though he just got beat... Because he just got beat at the last pay-per-view. That's true. Strange booking to have Kurt go over clean, over your new fresh baby face that you signed, probably paid a lot of money for. You know, you made him put on that mask so you could sell some more masks and... That was probably a good idea in the long term. I mean, oh, Ray God. still wears it to this day. They, so. they, uh, God, they made a ton of money, I'm sure. Yeah, a little strange, but a great opening match. I mean, this is... I couldn't pick a better opening match out of oh, the ones I agree. featured on this card. I agree. This this card hands... I mean, start to... Well, there's one start to big talk. match. Well, there's one, there's one match on here that I could completely cut. 
And I, really? you know exactly the one I'm talking about. Is it our third match on the card? No. Which one is it? It involves... Um, Tag which, titles? No, it involves... Uh, let's just say it's a tall man from Texas that rode a motorcycle to the ring. Really? I enjoyed that Dude, match. Dude, that match sucks. Really? This Undertaker, if I was the Undertaker, and what had happened to me in the last couple of months, you took my title. Okay, you took my title. I didn't even get pinned for it. That sucks. And then... SummerSlam, you know, next to WrestleMania, this is their summer WrestleMania. This is their second biggest car of the year. Who have I got tonight? Who have I got? Test. They were really pushing the Un-Americans, though. That sucks. It, this sucks. I actually, I watched a little a Legends Roundtable about this, about the, uh, the patriotic wrestling thing, and they get into deep detail about Michael Hayes really was you know, pushing the Un-Americans as being kind of the next four horsemen per se, the anti-four horsemen with Test as your as your flair, and you know you had your Arn and Nolly. The fact that he used, if he actually used the words flair and Test in the same sentence, well, Flair was sitting there. At the, or, no, it wasn't Flair at the table. It was oh uh, no, Sergeant Slaughter. Hayes must have been drinking all day during the taping of that show because that's they were one of the they were really trying I've to they heard. were really trying to push it towards that though. And so it was very... Test was lost by 2002. As soon as Triple H shit on him in the wedding angle, he was done. That's they true. They didn't realize what damage they had done. That's true. But that made him look like a complete fucking loser. That's true. And you can never repair that. You because can't. weddings are always big segments, whether they're on pay-per-view or on TV, in wrestling, for whatever reason, I don't know. That's probably where we get the soap opera stereotype or whatever. They always do really well, so a lot of people fucking saw that. Yeah. And that's hard to take away. Yeah. The next time I see this guy is, oh, now you're supposed to take him seriously. Now he's a real contender. No. No, he's a fucking loser dork. Yeah. Is what he is. Yeah. Because he got shit on. No, just, I, I mean... I, everything you're saying is the truth. I know. I just... And so anytime it's Tess getting a push, like later on when he'd have a match against Brock Lesnar, it was a hard-hitting match, but it's Tess. Any kind... Test in ECW, it's still test. You know, I you're always Andrew Martin is always going to be test, and you would have to. You don't look at him. Well, I dye to, his hair when he was call with, him something else when he was with Stacy Keebler. The testicles, the yeah. testicles, and all that. He's that, doing comedy. Yeah, that's not going to get you over. No, well, that's I mean, when you're comedy mid card jobber. That's, but but when you're with Stacy Keebler, I mean that kind of. No, well he's he was a real winner in that regard. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, but. Still, though. Kelly Kelly. That's true. He, he was, lived the dream. He, <laughs> back to back to the pay-per-view. Sorry. Back to the GM warfare. Stephanie is the GM of SmackDown. She goes into what she thinks is her GM office, and she finds Eric Bischoff already sitting in there. What the hell are you doing in my office? I just want to see Raw top all the SmackDown matches, of course. And there's, we're going to share an office today. There's only one GM office, and we're both sharing it. Eric and Stephanie decide to cozy up and watch the pay-per-view together. Nice of them to pay attention to the show. Well, yeah, so. absolutely. Y2J is out next for a Raw brand matchup, as JR and King would call Raw, and Michael Cole and Taz would call SmackDown matches. Y2J is out for a Raw. Oh, speaking of which... Another change. The announcer's table went from being ringside for Raw to being up there at the stage. Coincidental? Just like Nitro. Well, now it's like that now on Raw. It's It stayed like that from there on out, mm-hmm. yeah. No, it did swap back, didn't it, once? It went back for a long time. It wasn't until they did the brand split again that it went back to the top of the stage. 
I like the top of the stage better. I do too. I mean, when they're calling matches, they're mainly watching it on a monitor, so it really doesn't matter where they're seated at. Exactly. So, Y2J is out next for a Raw brand matchup. Ric Flair broke Jericho's Fozzie equipment. Old man Flair doesn't like all that noisy rock and roll mumbo-jumbo that you kids are doing. It gives him a headache. So that's what this feud is about. Uh, Ric Flair hates rock and roll, specifically Chris Jericho's brand of rock and roll. JR states correctly that Flair is actually a 16-plus time world champion. He notes the asterisk beside Ric Flair's title runs. This is Ric Flair's first ever match at SummerSlam. He was at SummerSlam 92 at Wembley Stadium, but he was only ringside with Mr. Perfect during the Macho Man Warrior match. So his official SummerSlam debut comes 10 years later, uh, you know, many years after... uh, Jim Hurd wanted him to retire because you're just getting too old, Ric Flair, in 1990 or whatever. Wanted him to become Spartacus. <laughs> so here we are uh, 12 years later, and he's still going strong. Flair slaps Jericho and struts and woos. The first time these guys wrestled was on the debut episode of Thunder from 1998, just FYI. Jericho hits Flair with a clothesline and a sidewalk slam. Flair chops Jericho, throws him outside, but Jericho skins the cat and gets chopped for his trouble. Flair tries a flare flip over the turnbuckle, but can't do it. Fucks it up. And Jericho clotheslines him over anyway. So, thanks, buddy. Jericho hits snake eyes to Flair on the exposed guardrail and climbs to the top turnbuckle and hits an axe handle on Flair, who's on the outside of the ring. They go back in the ring, and the Ayatollah of Rock and Rolla gets in a striking exchange with Flair, who chops his way out of it. But Jericho stops it with a missile dropkick for a two-count. Jericho distracts Charles Robinson. Flair still has his own personal referee here, by the way. It's damn true. So Jericho is distracting Charles Robinson. He's trying to take a turnbuckle pad off. And while Robinson is distracted, Jericho chokes Flair with his wrist tape. So who's the heel here? Both of them. Flair delivers a bunch of chops to Jericho, who stops him by choking him on the second rope. Jericho hits a delayed vertical suplex to Flair. He climbs to the top turnbuckle, but Flair stops Jericho from coming off the top turnbuckle. So it was Chris Jericho doing a Ric Flair tribute spot in a match with Ric Flair. Yes. My mind is blown. Jericho misses a shoulder block and runs into the post, and Flair capitalizes with chops and a side suplex. Jericho hops out of a vertical suplex attempt, tries to lock in the walls of Jericho on Flair, but Flair inside cradles him for two. Jericho bulldogs Flair, but misses the lion salt. And now, Flair tries to put Jericho in the walls of Jericho, converts it to a half crab, and then Jericho puts Flair in the figure four which every opponent of Ric Flair ever tried. In every Ric Flair match, this happens. The opponent has to try to make Ric Flair tap. To his own move. To his own move. Flair makes it to the ropes and taps when he grabs the ropes, so Jericho thinks he won. Match is over. Grab the ropes first. He did. Jericho does not like that Charles Robinson tells him. Which is brilliant, by the way, because that sells your own finishing maneuver. Maneuver so so painful that even you tapped out to it's it. It's actually pretty smart. Yeah, that is brilliant. That that really shows the the psychology Ric Flair has. Well, and I like tricking Jericho too. I don't. No one. I haven't seen this recently in wrestling where someone grabbed the rope and then tapped to try to trick him into thinking, yeah. "No, you just won the match." Anytime I was in a submission move and I grabbed the ropes, I would do this. Yeah, this is brilliant. Flair, always teaching. Charles Robinson, Little Nate, tries to tell Jericho, hey, the match is still going. Jericho doesn't like this, so he shoves him. Charles gets bumped into again, and this allows Flair to low blow Jericho, lock in the figure four, and holy shit, Chris Jericho taps out to Ric Flair. Uprising star Chris Jericho, the world's first undisputed champion, taps out to the veteran Ric Flair. 
a surprising result for sure because uh, Ric Flair was not given a lot of singles matches. Vince didn't see a lot of value in his wrestling, and that's why he wanted him to be a GM, to be a manager, to be in the background. And he would spend a lot of the next couple years being background to Triple H. Yeah. So it was nice to see him get some work here before all that started. What did you think of the match, Patrick? Oh, classic Ric Flair match. Lots of chops. Classic WCW match, actually. Two guys from WCW still somewhat in their prime going in there and tearing the house down. I thought it was great. On the WWE Network, there's a commercial cutout. It was for Hulk Hogan's DVD set. How do I know that? Because Paul Heyman and Brock watch it in the locker room, and Paul says, huh, it looks like they're, it's a montage for a guy's funeral. It looks like an in-memorial video because of what you did to Hulk Hogan, Brock. That's right. It's like a legend died because you took him out. You have to take out The Rock the same way. Take him out early, and let's leave. The next big thing arrives tonight. Would it? We'll see. Eddie Guerrero's out to take on Edge, who has his Rob Zombie theme. I actually liked his Rob Zombie. It makes no sense. I mean, it just doesn't... That I... I don't know. It's fine. You didn't like it? It's fine. It's it's not something that would pop the crowd. It doesn't have... I mean, the example I always cite is like, you know, the glass shattering at the open of Steve Austin's theme, the gong for Undertaker. It doesn't have anything towards the front of the song to make you know who it was. And so when Edge got his next theme and they put the, you think you know me, you think you know me, it gives you... And it, it gives you something to pop for. Yeah. Because this Rob Zombie song just sort of starts playing. There's nothing in it to make you, oh, or like John Cena, that huge intro John Cena song. I know exactly who's coming out, you know. Yeah. Like, but Edge, it's just like, who hit the Rob Zombie music? Who'd hit that? <laughs> this is a feud. This feud is a feud because Eddie thinks Edge is popular and a sex symbol. Those words were spoken by Michael Cole, I believe. Guerrero gets monkey flipped and body slammed by Edge. Edge ties Guerrero in the ropes and spears him once, misses a second, goes flying outside. Eddie goes outside and throws Edge into the steps. Edge injured his shoulder in a cage match against Kurt Angle and was out for a month. The rest of this match, Eddie's going to focus on the shoulder. Eddie goes to the top turnbuckle and whips Edge shoulder and face first to the mat. Then Eddie locks in a hammerlock, but Edge makes it to the ropes. Eddie puts him back in a hammerlock. But Edge's hand doesn't drop three times. The ref breaks Only it two. Up. Eddie goes back to wrenching on the shoulder. Edge finally slows down Eddie by hitting him with a power slam, a clothesline, and a back body drop. Edge hits a bulldog for two. Eddie gets suplexed out of the ring by Edge. It's okay. He landed on his feet. Edge climbs the top turnbuckle and hits a crossbody to Eddie out on the ring mats. Edge enrolls Eddie into the ring. They brawl on the turnbuckle, and Edge hits a super Edge-O-Matic, which sends Eddie crashing face first into the ring. This only gets a two count. Naturally, what would a guy with a bad shoulder try? A spear, of course. Well, yeah. But Edge gets countered with a drop kick. Eddie hits the frog splash, but Edge got his knees up, so it didn't hit. The Edgeocution is hit to Eddie for a two count. With his bad shoulder. Yeah, another bad shoulder move. And Natu- grabs, grabs his legs with the bad shoulder to pin him. He goes for another one, but Eddie hits a bridging Northern Lights suplex for two. Eddie looks for the frog splash again, but gets cut off by Edge, and Eddie head, headbutts him off of the turnbuckle, and headbutts Edge's shoulder. Ouch. Then he frog splashes only Edge's bad shoulder. Why he didn't just frog splash the rest of him, I don't know. 
but he went for the shoulder with the frog splash, hit it, and Edge still kicks out at two, which makes zero sense, especially when he just landed on your shoulder, the thing that's being pinned to the mat. Yeah. But okay, Eddie can't believe it, I can't either. Eddie looked to be trying that lucha top rope arm drag thing, but Edge yanks him down, hits the spear, and gets the win with his bad shoulder. Eddie did all the work. This really just put the spear over as Edge's new finishing move. I hated this match. I thought this match stunk because Edge didn't do much in it. No, I thought it stunk because the psychology in it made no fucking sense. Well, this is my problem with a lot of when you work a body part in a match, and I think Randy Orton is my number one guy of who does this where he gets something worked on, but then, you know, he can always hit that RKO. Oh, yeah. Bad knee, bad shoulder, bad arm, doesn't matter. Just goes out the window. I just wish that if you're going to work a body part, then stick to it. That's all I ask. What's what I'm saying? If you're working his knee, he goes to try to spring up to hit it. He needs to fall down. And like I, sh- I can't, I can't. And then even if he does hit the RKO, it's, it's weaker. It's a, it's like a standing. It's not jumping. Kind of just grab it and drop. Kind of thing. He, they need to stick with it. Psychology in wrestling is dying, and this match proves it right there. Don't go in with the game plan of work the shoulder and then use the shoulder to win the match with a spear. Like, yeah. I think it got over edge effectively as a baby face. This is something at the at the end of the show I'll mention just they had a real problem with lack of baby faces on both shows, especially Raw. But SmackDown had a lot of great ones in development, including Edge. And yeah. this really worked for Edge. There's some promo that airs next that's just very it's very weird, this promo about the WWE season never ends. That's right. Which, why do you need to show that to someone that bought the pay-per-view? Of course, I know that. I wish I could answer your question. I have no idea. I don't understand why you have to... Like, I understand airing that on the TV product. Like, yeah. maybe someone's just flipping channels. I'm going to give wrestling a shot. Right. But you're telling me, as a wrestling fan, oh, wrestling's badass because it never ends. I know. I'm yeah, watching. I have, I have no idea. The Un-Americans are with Coach... Tess can't wait to expose the American shams of Booker T and Goldust, who will be defending our freedom next. Booker T and Goldust are out to Booker's theme song. Sorry, Goldust, no theme song for you. The greatest tag team in WWE, probably. We'll get, like I said, lack of baby faces. What a waste of Booker T, though, when you desperately need I love this big tag. name. Him and, him and Goldust, though, they were that was Raw's. When you think of this era, that's the tag team you think of. They were fun, but... It's just a waste of Booker T, who... Waste of Goldust, too. Yeah. I, I personally consider Goldust to be a, a major-type competitor. Not by O2, I wouldn't say. I think the verdict was in. If this was... If Booker T and Goldust were in the company together in 98, I'd say, yeah, maybe. I still think he was Intercontinental Champion... Ship material. Landstorm and Christian are out to defend the tag team title belts. Test does not accompany them. What a chicken shit. Not even walking out with He's your bros. He's prepping for his, for his match. Oh, and what a match it would be. Booker, by the way, if you're going to be the American wrestler, wear some fucking flag gear. That's all I ask. Do it for one match. Even John Cena, Mr. Ronald McDonald, came out in red, white, and blue when he was wrestling Rusev. You can do it for one match and then move on. Of course, Goldust and Booker, they didn't get the book of USA wrestlers, so they come out in black and black and gold. So, Well, I mean, what? how the hell do you... A man who's supposed to be solid gold, how do you put... <laughs> how the fuck Good are you going to put red, white, and blue on him? Good point. Well, he... He's gold dust. Well, That's the whole... 
That's his gimmick. When he was the artist formerly known as Goldust, he wore a lot of different outfits and different colors. Well, that was that's a part of his career that I think the entire world is trying to forget. But Booker could have thrown on some red, white, and blue. It I'm fine. not denying that, but I'm just saying Goldust, really, there's no fucking way in hell he could have put any of that on. So Booker naturally gets the crowd chanting USA because America, of course. Well, yeah. Christian and Goldust start the match. Goldust hits a rear view to Christian and power slams Lance Storm. Goldust hits his signature uppercut to Christian. Storm tags in, gets arm dragged by Goldust. Inverted atomic drop to Storm, and Goldust is having no trouble with these heels. And then Booker tags in. Booker hits a sidewalk slam and a knee to Lance Storm. And then Goldust says, for some reason, I guess I'll get back in. This enables Storm to toss Goldust over the ropes, and he splats on the ring mats. Ouch, he like went directly over the rope. Do not grab. Do not slow down your fall. Like, he just splat. Gold paint was all over the floor. Christian throws Goldust back into the ring and tags into the match. Goldust fires up on Christian, but Captain Charisma quickly stops him. And Storm and Christian double-team Goldust with chokes behind Nick Patrick's back. Storm tags in, and Goldust hits a choke slam on Storm, and now both legal men are down, but Storm gets the hot tag before Goldust can, so Goldust here is fucked. Christian comes in, grounds Goldust with a headlock. Booker T finally gets the tag, but oh, it's a visionary tag because Nick Patrick didn't see it. The un-Americans stomp Goldust down in the corner. The crowd chants for Booker T, and Goldust finally wakes up. And slings Christian into Lance, so Goldust can now attempt another hot tag. Goldust has ripped his golden suit in his armpit area for some reason. Storm drops Booker before Goldust can get the precious hot tag. Storm and Christian go for a concerto behind the ref's back, but hit each other. USA chance fuel Goldust to get that hot tag that he needed. He reaches out there and finally makes it. Booker cleans house. Booker hits a missile drop kick, but only gets a two on Christian. Christian blocks a scissors kick and tries the unprettier, but gets blocked. Booker hits a scissor kick to both Un-Americans at the same time. Does a spin rooney It was the, impressive. The crowd is hot. He kicks Christian and gets the visionary win as the referee is still down. Gets the visionary win as the crowd counts to three and then four, and then I think they made it to 20. By the time Lance runs in, tries a belt shot, but the faces avoid it. Then Test runs in. Big boots Booker T. Big time. Christian then covers Booker, and those dirty heel bastards, the Un-Americans, or as we call them, Canadians, win the match as Nick Patrick, heel referee Nick Patrick, by the way, wakes up and counts the three. And I wrote here, Tess had an easy night because I thought that he didn't have a match later. I thought, wow, that's a great night's of work. Like, yeah. I put in, I hit one big boot, go home. Like, that's a Kevin Nash night yeah. at the office. Nope. He had something way worse coming up. <laughs> So that was that tag match. The tag division would get cloudier because... Oh, man. Uh, this is when they split the tag team belts. Uh, they got rid of the other undercard titles. They got rid of the IC belt, the European belt, the hardcore belt. All those are gone. We don't need those. We need two sets of tag team titles, though. Yeah. And so SmackDown would have their own tag team champs, and Raw would have theirs, and so... The tag divisions would be very, very weak when you very weak when you split them like that. You had some of the worst teams of the era. Not to discredit any of them, but this was not a good time for tag team. Oh well, yeah, Booker T and Goldust. You had RVD and Kane. Team Angle. Team Angle. You had uh, Reverend Devon and Dave Batista. 
This was bad. It, it was rough. It Bubba was, and Spike. Bubba and Spike, yeah. It was, uh, you still had the Hardys for a little bit longer. Yeah. I mean, a very little bit. Um, yeah, this was tough. You had the Un-Americans. You had... I just can't believe their logic here of like, let's get rid of all these singles titles. Fuck those. Vince like, hated tag, tag teams at this but point. But then he though. added another tag team belt, though. We show had to have a tag champion. They can travel. I think... Oh, I agree with you on that. No, I, I think the world title should have stayed where the champ travels. And even though they wanted to do brand split pay-per-views, I'll, I'll get into it later on. But anyway, this tag division, all you need to know is that it really gets bad from here. I mean, it's going to be a while before you see great tag Your teams. Your tag team... This is the... You talk about the, the women's revolution. This is the, the downward spiral of the tag team era for... for about a good four or five years. Oh, I'd say even longer than that. What I really don't like about it, though, is that you know it was always one wrestler and another. They don't. They're not a team. It's not Hawk and Animal, the Road Warriors. It's Rey Mysterio and Edge. Yeah. It's just random. Throw them together. Booker T and Goldust. Yeah. Yeah. They're not. They're not a real team. It's not. It's not Harlem Heat. It's just two guys. You know. Yeah. So that's something I always, and to this day. I'm not a real big fan of, like, Heath Slater and Rhino, that's cool, but, like, what are you guys? like? At least you have Team B or whatever. The B team, the the old Miztourage, who got the, they're going to be at Money in the Bank. They have the tag team title shot. They are going to attempt (laughs) to take the tag team title belts from the Deletures of Worlds, of course, Matt Hardy and Bray Wyatt, so I don't think the B team will be winning the belts. Well, I don't even consider them to be called the deleters of war of the world. Like I just look at them like it's my Hardy and Bray Wyatt. Well, they're yeah, they're just two again yeah. individual wrestlers. The B team you actually consider a team. The Bludgeon Brothers you actually consider a team. The they Usos, wear the same gear. The yeah. Usos you consider a team. The New Day. The New Day you consider a team. Yeah, I don't think of them as just like what is Kofi Kingston doing with this person. No, they're yeah. a team. I see them as a team. You know, like anyway, just. An old man griping about pro wrestling. Back in my day, Shunny. There's a very weird contest going on at the WWE's restaurant, now called The World, because they had to get the F out of there. What the F? Why are they getting the F out? So instead of coming up with some creative name, let's just call it The World, which doesn't even tell you it's a restaurant. Or, I mean, WWF New York, I guess, didn't tell you it was a restaurant. But The World. I want to go eat at The World. What does that mean? Can't even tell it's a WWE-themed restaurant by that name. Wrestling World. That's what they should have called it. Huh, we can't say the word wrestling, Patrick. Sports Entertainment World? Oh, God, Is that what yeah. you're talking Shit. about? What, Smiles what on thinking? Faces. Smiles on Faces World. Yeah, that's what it should have been called. <laughs> I mean, it was going to go out of business anyway. You could call it whatever you wanted to. Could have called it the Nitro Grill. The Nitro... Oh, damn. There's a contest. A very strange, gross contest. This it is. just gave me the creeps. Did you win this contest? I would not enter this contest because this is fucking creepy. You get a makeout session with Nydia. That is so gross and so weird. Like, I really hope this guy was a plant. <laughs> I'm pretty sure because they both were. Pretty sure they both were. They oh, both the guys standing yeah. there. Yeah. It's so. I really <laughs> hope they were plants because this is a creepy contest. Pretty sure they both were. This is way worse than pay a dollar, kiss the girl at the county fair, which that's gross and creepy. Because then you're kissing all these other guys, too. All your lips are going on this lady. But this is equally... She's pretty enough, you know. 
I'm Jamie Noble. It's his girlfriend. That he's and he's rooting it on. Yeah, that's the most disturbing part of it. He's is a, he is there. He's acknowledging that it's going on, and he's excited it's happening, and he's rooting it on. He's getting cucked right there for all of us to see, and he loves it. Yes, because they're trailer trash. They, Apparently, that, they're that into was, weird sex stuff too. <laughs> This is your cruiserweight title, by the way. This is your yeah. title holder. This is what they sent him to do. He got, he, I, I mentioned Tess got an easy night pay. No, Jamie Noble did because he only did this one segment. Well, hell no. He, hadn't, he didn't have an easy night. He had to watch his girlfriend make out with another dude. Well, it's his on screen girlfriend. I think they were married. So Nydia <laughs> makes out with some random dude. And yeah, Jamie Noble. Is excited. Oh, cheers like it on. she went all full force for yeah, it. Yeah, I thought, oh, maybe these are just worked kisses or whatever, but no, their hand moves away. You see that they are really, they're going all, they're all in. They're all <laughs> Way before Cody Rhodes was. <laughs> they are all in, and they didn't care that a crowd was watching. It was so bizarre. I didn't understand the message I was supposed to be receiving, other than if you live in a trailer, you're obviously some weird... <laughs> Orgy, sex fiend, you like getting cucked, you fucking loser. That's what I got. So that's what happened. So then we cut back to the GMs who are watching this and are not appalled, including Stephanie, who is a woman. And Bischoff says another appalling statement. I just saw something crazy. Oh, I love this shit, yeah. That woman really knows her place, huh, Stephanie? (laughs) She does. And Stephanie says, yes, the place of a woman is on top. And then Bischoff creepily hits on Stephanie. And Stephanie says, never going to happen, Bischoff, or something like that. I love this nitty. I mean, she would make a fine addition to Raw. This is a woman who really knows her place in this business. Eric, women in this business, their place is like mine. On top. Well, speaking of on top, we'll see who's on top later in the show. We'll see when uh, RVD brings that intercontinental title back to Raw, who's on top. Bischoff, I think we can safely say that will never happen. (laughs) So we had some weird sexual tension between a guy that's like twice Stephanie's age. Sort of like Macho Man and Stephanie. Never mind. Too soon. Speaking of too soon, Benoit. Oh! Benoit comes out with the IC title, which is blurred out. You know why? Because they had a giant WWF pasted in the middle of it. Originally, the lawsuit with the World Wildlife Fund, they couldn't show the Scratch logo. Yeah. They got that settled. So now they can show the Scratch logo, but they can't show the old logo. The old block The block logo, right. So... And so now everything's screwed up. Like, different versions have different logos blurred out and different logos... Pay- it's a logo like disaster. It, what does it even fucking matter? 
At this point, yeah, exactly. This looks like it was edited before that settlement where you could show the Scratch logo. So it's just weird. I don't know. Now they can show both, right? No, they can only show the Scratch logo. They can't show the block. No, that's why. Why can't they show both and be done with it? I don't know. It's not even. Is that a lawsuit that's still going on or is it? No, it's a. It was originally a lawsuit. It wasn't even in America. It was overseas. It was, I think it was in Britain or somewhere. So they, they lost that one. And then later on, they came back to the World Wildlife Fund and said, we'll give you some extra money if we can use our Scratch logo. And they said, yeah, you can use your Scratch logo, but you can't use the old block one. So now that's why if you go back on the network and look at old pay-per-views, they have a block logo, the block lettering. It just says WW. There's no F on it. On the shows, if it's there, like if it's on, if it's already on the old shows, it's fine. But they can't use it. They can't make new ones. If that makes sense, like on the video game, they can't put one in there. They can't make new ones. It's very stupid. I don't even. So that's like why in remaking the old. Uh, so for instance, the Winged Eagle belt and re- reproducing retro belts or whatever, they can't put the block WWF at the top of it. Yeah, they can put a block WWE, but they can't put a, put a because block. it's it's considered reproducing. It's a new one. Yeah, it's a new. I did not know that. But I think they can use the scratch logo now. But I don't think they can. Pr- I don't even know. It's so stupid. Who cares? It's, I care because I want my WWF back. Damn it. It's just weird seeing the IC belt blurred, like Benoit's wearing a big dick-shaped belt or something. So he's got his blurred IC belt. He's taking on Rob Van Dam, and this is an interpromotional match because, remember, Benoit's property is SmackDown. Literally, this is probably going to be your match of the night. I didn't like this match. Really? No, I didn't like this I match I loved this match. Since it's an interpromotional match, we have to have different announcers for both wrestlers. So Tony Chimmel introduces Chris Benoit, and The Fink announces RVD, who was in an announcer feud with Lillian Garcia. Which we'll find out more later on. We'll find the exciting conclusion to that feud later on. RVD lights up Benoit with kicks. Benoit rolls out of the ring to regroup. Benoit Russian leg whips RVD and puts him in a headlock. RVD gets out of it, hits a second rope moonsault into a crossbody on Benoit for a near fall. Benoit dumps RVD on his head from a released German suplex, and RVD does that selling again where it looks like he broke his neck, where he can contort his Dude, neck. That, and it's ugly, man. It's It makes you like cringe when you see it. Benoit hits a backbreaker to RVD for a two count. It's a snap suplex to RVD for another two count. Benoit takes RVD down with a shoulder tackle. RV tries an inside cradle and a backslide, but only gets a near fall. Benoit's lip was busted open from RVD's feet earlier. Benoit slings RVD to the corner, but RVD boots him as he charges in. RVD tries a split-legged moonsault, but Benoit gets his knees up to stop him. Benoit misses the flying headbutt. RVD goes upstairs for the five-star frog splash, but misses. Crippler crossface applied to RVD, but he gets to the ropes. We go backstage, and Bischoff and Stephanie are watching this match, and Stephanie can sense that she's on camera, so she says, go get him, Benoit. And then we go back to the match. Thanks for that segment. RVD gets shoved off the top turnbuckle to the guardrail by Benoit, brings him into the ring, hits a shoulder breaker, then a fight in the crowd distracts everybody, so Benoit puts in a rest hold while they're distracted. This goes on for a while. RVD chants wake RVD up, and he battles out of this weird cross-arm chokehold thing, and then Benoit kicks him right back down. Ugly-looking leg sweep from RVD. Uh, Benoit didn't fall very well for it. He tries a standing moonsault but misses and gets caught in the crossface again. RVD breaks the crossface, 
but Benoit counters with a pinning attempt for a two count. Benoit runs RVD's shoulder first into the post, hits a Northern Lights, floats over to hit another one, and then hits a third one, three Northern Lights in a row, and finishes it with a bridge, but then he decides to put RVD in the crossface. RVD tries for the ropes, but Benoit blocks him and locks in a Dragon Sleeper instead. RVD muscles his way out and tries a crossface of his own, which Benoit breaks quickly because it looked like shit. RVD, do not try submission moves. What are you doing, you fool? RVD hits a springboard kick to Benoit for a two count. Step over heel kick, rolling thunder, another two count. Spinning heel kick for another two count. Then he goes to the top turnbuckle, gets crotched by Benoit. Benoit tries his super side suplex. You know, the move that sort of broke his neck a while back. He does that to RVD. But RVD rolls over midair into a crossbody, hits a five-star frog splash, and gets the win. And Raw gets the icy belt, which they would have for a grand total of, like, a week or two before it would be retired. Bischoff says yes, and RVD wins. What I said about this match, the match felt very slow. It was a clash of styles because... RVD and Chris Benoit do not wrestle similar styles at all. Too many covers, too many submission attempts. Benoit did all the work, really, and the parts where they interacted were just, they felt kind of sloppy, and you could kind of see them having to put things together. Like, that triple Northern Lights spot was really cool, but, like, them him having to work with RVD, it just, it was, like, in slow motion. Like, I don't know. I just, I didn't enjoy this match. They needed good guys on Raw, and so this was a good guy that they could produce for Triple H. Uh, but then after RVD, it's like, what do you have left? Yeah. You don't have much, but this was, at least he got something here. At least he got some kind of momentum going into that where he was going to have to lose to Triple H for, you know, two months. It's just so sad to look back at this time in RVD and, like, know the how good he was and just how that just went by the wayside. Bischoff tells Stephanie, hey. Well, I mean, you... You speak of that, and sorry, it just dawned on me. Like I said, Kane and RVD. Kane made his comeback and... Got demasked and ended up in a tag? Oh, no, he was in it with was, the mask. He was in it with the mask, but because he he was tagging with RVD... Oh, and, RVD was in that storyline, that's yeah, right. Which yeah, which is why he lost the mask. I thought he oh. lost the match in a singles match, but RVD came out there to try to, like help or something and rvd was trying to tell him like it's okay you don't have to and, I, and right. it, it wasn't a singles match but still it was it's when it was they were feuding the kane whole, lost it in a tag match no it was a singles match oh, okay it was but it was it's still when they were feuding with evolution it's when rvd and kane were feuding with evolution and katie vick and all that crap. well it's so stupid because yeah so you've got kane coming back we could maybe make him a baby face i, I that's pretty a uh, pretty hard sell considering this guy tried to kill his brother or whatever many times um and you you could maybe make him a baby face nope squash that fuck that you know like <laughs> i'll put him in a tag team this this tag team's doing okay this is fine no fuck that break it up take his fucking mask off <laughs> on raw for free <laughs> yeah oh that that was the shit kicker for me i felt like Really, they're doing this on Raw? This isn't like a pay-per-view type deal? This is technically like a five-year build, you yeah. know, because he came back with the mask. I mean, no one knew it was, you know, from just looking at him. No one could say that was, uh, you know, Isaac Yankum in a mask yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So this is like a five-year build. This is the same time amount of time that Sean was away from the ring. Right. And so your big payoff, I'll just give it away on Raw. Right. It's not yeah. even the pay-per-view match. No. And it wasn't even... Uh, well, it might have been the main event. I think it was the main event. 
Sorry. It was the I think it was the unifier because he had won the IC belt somehow, and so it was belt versus belt and the mask. I think was yeah, on the line. Yeah, something like that. So yeah, <laughs> Kane. People talked about all oh, after X Seven is that's when the Attitude Era died. I think after tonight really is when it started to go downhill a little bit. I just this was another time in wrestling that I was like checked out for a while. Like gloating GM Eric Bischoff tells Stephanie, "You can watch the IC belt on Raw every single Monday." Stephanie she, weirdly laughs at him. She just laughs. She had a plan in place, of course. It was weird though, like and it, li- and left. It was such a fake laugh too. It was yeah. like it was like Wicked Witch of the West kind of laugh. It was weird. Undertaker will battle Test next. Yes, you heard that right. The former undisputed champion two months ago, well, one month ago, the former undisputed champion is now in the middle of the card wrestling test. That's what happens in pro wrestling. It's the American badass versus the un-American, so this is your real America versus Canada match here. A promo video recaps the un-Americans and why they hate America. Why do they hate America? Because they're not American. Test is out first, then American badass Mr. Taker on his bicycle, his motor bicycle. JR says Test has been living on that unlimited potential label for a long time. I know he has. It's you it's you guys' fault. You never booked this guy properly. And Taker hits some shoulder blocks into Test. Test hits some knee lifts on Taker. It's your big man versus your big man match, so sit tight. Taker hits his signature flying clothesline for two. Tries to do old school, but Test crotches him. Test throws Taker into the steps. Test brings Taker into the ring and gets the upper hand, puts Taker in an arm bar. Taker does the sit-up spot, breaks the hold, but Test fights back for a minute. Taker then hits a DDT. Old school, snake eyes. Test wakes up, tries to hit the pump handle slam, but Taker just slides right out because he's the Undertaker. Taker tries to choke slam. Test fights out of it, but gets caught again, choke slammed. That only gets a two. Taker calls for the last ride, but Landstorm and Christian interfere. They're dorks, they're nerds, they're goons. They get beat up. A choke slam for Landstorm, a choke slam to Captain Charisma. Test hits a nasty big boot to Taker, though, but Taker kicks it too because he's the Undertaker. Test is dismayed. Test knocks the ref over, tries to chair shot Undertaker, but Taker boots the chair into him, another dork, and then hits a tombstone for the win, and the Un-Americans look like fucking dummies, and they lose. And fuck you, Test. Fuck you, Landstorm. Fuck you, Christian. (laughs) All three of these men would be out of the company shortly, so congrats they didn't want to do this on america they were afraid that they were going to get too much heat that's not true because landstorm was on team canada and wcw yeah but there's they- no way people from canada would be scared now muhammad hassan yes when they gave him the similar gimmick yeah i would be a little scared i would be a little more concerned three white guys from canada there was <laughs> there was no concern this isn't this is the same bullshit they would tell you with like, oh, uh, you know, when we turn Sergeant Slaughter, when he's an Iranian sim- or Iraqi sympathizer, oh, you know, they're going to burn the building down. That is not true. That is grossly exaggerated. It's oh. still Sergeant Slaughter. It's still a big yeah, white guy. Yeah, that was Mr. G.I. Joe, though. Like, literally, the only living G.I. Joe ever. You he gotta, did turn his back on us. Yeah, you got to think, that was there was a lot of people pissed off about that. Well, especially when you have... Not Hogan. kids, adults as well, well. Well, it was aimed at the adults because kids, that patriotism shit doesn't work on kids, little kids. Because right. they don't know the difference. And they, right. A flag is just a flag to them or whatever, you know. It's the adults that put all this shit in the flag and 
you know, all this, you know, patriotism and rah, rah, USA, USA. That's the, that's the parents. That's not the kids. And, you know, when you have Hogan especially, this is something kids wouldn't understand. But, yeah, when Hogan cuts a promo on Slaughter saying, oh, I just received word he burnt the old glory in the back, brother. Like, that's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because that's only for the adults. The kids aren't going to know, like, what, is, what does he mean? He burnt, yeah. Like, what? Yeah. Like, you just, yeah, you accuse basically of what, like, a patriotic American would consider it's like blasphemy. That's that's like the worst thing you can do. And like, you know, they didn't show it. At least they didn't show it. They probably thought about like doing that, but uh, oh, he comes out with a Hulk, a Hulkamania shirt. Yeah, and burns he, he it did instead. that instead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. naturally, of course, uh, which is just as bad as burning old glory. It's the same. <laughs> yes. But as far as actually being mad, you know, I know the difference when I see a white guy from Canada saying bad things about America versus Osama bin Laden saying bad things about America. I can tell the difference. I think wrestling fans can too. Muhammad Hassan. He's born in Syracuse. He's from New York. Okay, I was thinking it was Cleveland, Ohio, so. You were right. So yeah, the un-American from America. The, the or, well, That's always what it is. Sergeant yeah. Slaughter and Muhammad Hassan are sort of the same character. Yeah, yeah. Undertaker gets the win and then he holds up the flag. He almost holds it upside down like the un-Americans. That would have been a big heel turn. <laughs> <laughs> That's that would have been pretty daring. Had, Had they done that, <laughs> I actually would have given this match like maybe five stars because like you're gonna make like the most beloved wrestler, like the Undertaker, is like now fuck America, <laughs> fuck it. <laughs> that'd be that'd be wild. I really wish they had done that. <laughs> like, the American. The badass. reason I hate the un-Americans is because I want to be their leader. The American badass now yeah. hates America. That would be amazing. <laughs> If they had the balls to do that, by the way, that would have just been <laughs> historic. Oh, that place would have gone shit crazy. Can yeah, or like as he's holding up the flag, he gets out the lighter. <laughs> oh, oh, oh no. man. There you go. That would that's insane heat right there. Actual heat, yes. That's that's like whole oh. flag on fire heat. That's in New York, by the way, after 9-11. That would've... Fans would have lost their mind. Hey, man, I know how to stir them up. <laughs> fans would have lost their... That's hand, scary heat, Hand dude. me the pencil. That is scary heat. No, an Undertaker wouldn't have done it, so it's just all pipe dreams. But I would have gone along... I mean, I'm not going to burn the flag, but no. I would have gone along with everything else. No, I think it would have been awesome had he said, like, had he sided with the Un-American. You really want to give the Un-Americans some heat? You really want to put them on, yeah. you know, main event status give them a leader a main event leader that could have been cool to see test a big man with a, his apprentice which they tried you know later on with like nathan jones and they tried to give taker all these big men apprentices big show like carrying my bike through the damn desert and all that shit you know like this is this could have been it this yeah. you, uh, i think that would have been cool but and it might have actually savored test from not being the goofball that nerd. we all look at him as Work face. Next up is the unsanctioned match. That's right, remember, unsanctioned. So, for this unsanctioned, unsponsored match, here's a promo package recapping the history of Shawn Michaels and Hunter Hearst Helmsley. This promo package is literally one of my favorite of all time. It does. It shows you everything. It doesn't Dude, miss it a is, beat. It doesn't miss a fucking beat. I hope you actually play the whole thing through here. It is awesome. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends, are closer than a lot of brothers. Who is the show 
Triple H. They're, they're closer than a lot of brothers. Tonight, the game brings you his best friend, Shawn Michaels. Shawn Michaels and Triple H are our best of friends. That friendship is really what swayed Triple H. That's what brought him here to Raw. Let's get ready to suck it. by, say, uh, SummerSlam. I'm not going to sanction your match at SummerSlam. Officially, your match will never happen. But it will happen, Eric. I will fight till there's nothing left Till my legs are gone You won't forget me Cause I will fight Just to see you fall, I'll make you fear me. The song they picked for is perfect for it. Like it is no lie, an awesome promo package. For this unsanctioned match, we have Pyro and Confetti for Shawn Michaels. Yes, totally unsanctioned. Who is stepping back in the ring for the first time in four years? That's right, a little over four years. Now, Shawn. And if anybody who doesn't get chill bumps watching this, Shawn come to the ring. The excitement. I still get it to this day watching this match. 
Sean, though, came dressed for the occasion. He understood this is a street fight, an unsanct. This is a fight. Jeans. So Sean didn't wear his little fucking gear. He did his Billy Kidman tribute match. Jeans, uh, jeans, and a... Fighting and a, and outfit. A, yeah. Not, I'm in here in my gear. I'm here. Jeans, now, cowboy he did put boots. That weird, he did put that weird uh, fucking thing over his chaps, his little chains. His, yeah. He put it over his shit, which looked really stupid. <laughs> I wish he hadn't have done that. Because it's like, do one or the other. What is this? Like... Well, he's got to have a little bit of something. I don't know. And this would be weird. There would be, like, if I saw The Undertaker, like, in a cubicle wearing his full Undertaker garb and he's just an accountant or something, you know? <laughs> like, it's just not, I don't know. It's it's weird that he came out in the chaps and the stuff over his jeans and his white shirt. But, okay. Now, naturally, I think, okay, well, Hunter will just be out in jeans and whatever. It's a street fight. No, Hunter came dressed like it was WrestleMania. He wore his Speedo and his ring gear. Completely clean-shaven. Yeah. He came like this was a sanctioned match. And I guess was not fearful that Sean just would come out with a knife or a gun. You know, he's just not going to wear any kind of protection or tax or, you know. I guess Sean didn't watch the McFoley matches. If I was Sean, I would have brought out the barbed wire 2 by 4 true. Because I know that Hunter's coming out like a doofus wearing his speedo smacking with that a couple times match is over <laughs> match is done so hunter comes out baby oiled up looking roided out of his mind i mean his traps He's jacked dude it's just so crazy how high his traps go like they touch his ears practically and i mean i guess when he came back from his first quad tear is when the transformation really occurred from shredder to super shredder or whatever but <laughs> this was even more so. I, I didn't realize it had gotten he had gotten bigger as this went on. Being yeah. an active wrestler made him bigger somehow. Now he's gotten bigger even now though. I think he's actually a little bit smaller. No, nah, dude, WrestleMania he was ballooned this well, he past was year. Making his pecs dance to Kurt Angle's theme. Did you see that when he made he used, he did the little Lex Luger making his really. Uh, he made his boobs bounce. I didn't see that. To Kurt Angle's song as Kurt Angle was coming out, yeah. That's, it. That's funny. He's still jacked. I mean, he's... Dude, he is... Holy shit. Sean is smart, doesn't let Hunter get settled, and he throws some right hands at Hunter because this is an unsanctioned match. Who cares? Sean spears Hunter, delivers some more right hands. Sean sidesteps a leaping Hunter clothesline, and Hunter goes over the ropes. Sean hits a Pescado to Hunter on the ring mat, so he's testing out that bad back early. Sean gets some plunder. It takes him a while to find it. He grabs a trash can and a lid, but Hunter throws him across the guardrail to stop him from using it. Yeah. Sean hits Hunter with a trash can lid shot and skins the cat to get back in the ring. The old Sean is back. Then he smacks Hunter with the garbage can, hits an axe handle off the top rope, calls for sweet chin music already. This is going to be a quick match. Hunter ducks, though, and hits a backbreaker. Oh, no. That bad back. He did a better job selling his injury than Edge, but not by that much. Oh, no. See, I actually thought he sold it really well. He seemed to deliver that diving elbow later on pretty easily for a guy with a bad back. He climbed up a ladder, and he did a big splash with a bad back. So? <laughs> okay. It's not, fall, it's not him on his back. It's on his forward front abdomen. Okay. Hunter hits another backbreaker to Sean. Now, had he like did a, had he done like a twist of fate or not a twist? A rolling uh, thunder. Yeah. Then I'm gonna be like, okay, dude, come on. 
or had he done a you know swanton bomb, then I'd be like, dude, come on. Hunter whips Sean to the turnbuckles, and Sean hits the buckles on his injured back. Ouch. JR reminds us that you never get over a broken back. Or a broken heart, for that matter. Triple H... True that. Triple H crotch chops Sean. Oh, man, what a disgrace. And kicks him square in the face. True that, too. Hunter smacks Sean in the back with a chair. Sean kicks out of the pin, though, at two. His back isn't that bad. Sean rolls up Hunter for a near fall. Triple H hits his signature knee to the face of Sean. Then Sean gets DDT'd on a chair... Which calls for blade job number one here. And Sean is busted open, but this would not be anything compared to what happens at Survivor Series as far as bloodied up Sean. This is nothing. This is a small paper cut. Oh, this is a paper cut compared to what we're going to see in in my pick next. The heel takes Sean's belt out of his pants and whips him with it. Sean brought his own weapon of destruction to the ring. Whipped him like a government mule. He wraps his fist with the belt and giant Shawn Michaels belt buckle. Because lol, Shawn Michaels wears a belt buckle to the, like, you know what's going to happen, Shawn. And he opens up Shawn some more with strikes from the belt buckle. Hunter looks for some plunder, but can't find what he wants. He also has trouble finding his plunder because he wants something special. He wants his sledgehammer. Because it's in his contract that he can only use the sledgehammer. Only him. Only him, that's correct. Even the Bludgeon Brothers can't use their hammers. He's the only hammer man allowed. Earl gets shoved trying to stop him. Earl, you pussy. This is an unsanctioned match. Get the fuck out of the way. Sean. He has a heart, damn it. Sean fights back before Hunter can use it. Sean takes a whip to the post in the back again. Then he gets put in an abdominal stretch. JR says, just give it up, Sean. You did all you could. (laughs) JR's call here was amazing. This was JR at his best during this match, I think. And the post-match. Earl and Hunter are in each other's face as they have some history together, as Earl screwed him out of that title uh, against Jericho that one time. That's right. But then Hunter threatened his job, got his belt back right after the commercial break. So these two have some history together, as does Sean and Earl. So everyone here has got history. Hunter shoves him. Earl says, knock it off. Hunter cautiously backs off. And that's that's the end of that. Hunter takes Sean up to the top turnbuckle. But Sean punches Hunter off, and then he wants to hit his signature elbow drop, and the crowd comes to their feet. They can feel it. They know what's coming. But Hunter screws us all and crotches Shawn Michaels yep. and smacks his back with the chair. Hunter hits a backbreaker to Sean on the chair, which he had set up in the middle of the ring. This was an insane spot. It was ugly to watch. I would be nervous watching this match if I was a Shawn Michaels fan because, you know. Knowing he has a broken back. Yeah, he's on borrowed time, and here he is taking this spot. Yeah, this is an. Ins- I'm serious. This is an insane spot to to take, even with a good back. Yeah, this is not something I would advise people to take. Holy shit, chance for that spot. A sidewalk slam onto a folded out chair is. And do you see the way that thing bent around his back? Yeah, like, that chair. It got the worst of the night. It did. It got a workout. Sean kicks out of three pinning attempts from Hunter because Hunter just was like, "That's it." This match is over. Done. In reality, that probably should have just been the end of the match. But whatever. This is wrestling. HBK chants now as they want Sean to fire up. Hunter wants to pedigree Sean on the chair because what I did to him wasn't enough, of course. Sean low blows Hunter. Hunter grabs the chair but gets super kicked in the face with the chair. Sean, he's too gassed, though, to capitalize on this. And now Hunter has bladed and this... 
This man did a blade job tonight, folks, <laughs> because before he's even up, he somehow has gotten blood on his chest. It's amazing. Oh, it's running like a faucet. I mean, it's just streaming out. And Sean's cut has pretty much healed up by now, so he is no longer bleeding, and Hunter is going to do all the bleeding from here. He back body drops Hunter and grabs the chair, smacks Hunter in the face with a chair. The crowd is on their feet as Sean whips Hunter over the ropes. Sean gets his belt back, smacks Hunter in the back with it, decks Hunter with a trash can and trash can lid, we want tables chants break out because we're in Dudleyville all of a sudden. <laughs> they fight near the SmackDown table, and Sean takes Hugo Savinovich's boot in my favorite spot of this match as I guess this was something Sean wanted to do for many years and finally got Hugo's boot and smacks Hunter with it. Sean runs all the way around the ring to bulldog Hunter into the steps. This was a very amusing spot as it reminded me of that night we saw Goldberg get lost. Yeah. On the way to the ring. Sean grabs a ladder from under the ring. Why is that there? I don't know. They use it to hang up lighting with. Yeah. HBK chants break out when he grabs the ladder. He smacks Hunter in the face with it, then hits some shots to the gut of Hunter with it. He leans the ladder against the ring post on the outside, but Hunter whips him into it instead. Sean catapults Hunter into the ladder. Sean rolls Hunter in the ring for a near fall. Sean tries to put the ladder in the ring, but Hunter baseball slides it into Sean, which I don't recall Hunter doing a lot of baseball slides. I don't either. Hunter tries something off the top turnbuckle, but Sean cuts him off. Superplexes Hunter for a near fall. Hunter knees him in the face for a two count. Hunter brings in the steps. Hunter brings the ring steps into the ring. He's going to hit him with him. Yeah. As he, as he runs to him with the steps over his head. He gets drop toe hold. Drop toe hold. Bam. He Open goes cut, into the steps. Right back into the steps. Sean clotheslines Hunter out of the ring into the ladder on the outside. Then Sean finds some tables under the ring, grabs one, sets it up. Takes Sean a while. He's not too good with the table. Sean finds a fire extinguisher as well. Hunter lays on the table, and the crowd knows what's next. Sean goes to the top turnbuckle and hits a giant splash. It's WrestleMania 10 all of a sudden, and hits a giant splash through Hunter on the table outside. Which was outstanding. Anything better would have been him doing it from inside the ring on top of a ladder out to the floor. Holy shit chance break out for this. Pinfalls don't count anywhere, though, and so he has to roll Hunter in the ring in the sun-sanctioned match. I don't know why pinfalls couldn't count outside, but they don't. Sean brings the ladder in and wants the big elbow from the ladder and hits it perfectly. He stands up and the crowd is going nuts. He tunes up the band. He's getting he's getting pumped. He tunes up the band. He's getting ready to go in for sweet chin music. Triple H turns. Triple stops H catches it. his foot. He catches it, stops it, kicks him in the gut, hits him, gonna hit him with pedigree. Sean gets his arms loose. Double leg sweep, flips over, rolls. One, two, three, and your winner. From a remarkable four-year stint of being away from the ring, the heartbreak hit Shawn Michaels. Shawn, after years of abusing the referees, kisses Earl and stands up for a huge applause as the crowd got what they wanted. They went mental. And the WWE, for some reason, knew to zoom in tightly on Shawn and Earl to cut out what you were seeing around. Hunter had escaped the ring found his trusty sledgehammer, and hit Sean in the back with it. Oh. And not in his little cover the end of the hammer shit. No, he no, took he... full swings. <laughs> like he's breaking down a wall. Yeah. He went pow, and then gets right while Sean's on his knees, tells him to look him square in the eye, steps to the side of him, and 
smacks him right in the neck. Blast the back him. of his neck. Swings this thing like he's swinging for the fences like it's a damn baseball bat. And smacks him right in the back of the neck. It was disturbing to watch. JR refuses to believe what he sees. A doctor in a white coat is out. JR's call here is amazing. Hunter, you're gonna rot in hell for what you did. You're gonna rot in hell. (laughs) And Hunter smiles as he shuffles to the back and he laughs. Because he did what he said he would. He said he would leave Sean in a wheelchair. He did it. He did it. So he didn't have to win the match. The point for him wasn't to win the match. No. He did what he said he was going to do. So amazingly, despite losing the match, he comes out looking good too. Yeah. No damage done. None. And Sean wins his first return match. And you have a mega baby face right there. Huge. He'll sit on the shelf until Survivor Series. So on the in-between, Hunter has nobody to feud with. Basically. He feuds with Kane. RVD. RVD. Kane. Booker T. Oh, that was the Mania match. Uh, so, yeah. Amazing match. I don't think... I I don't really have a lot to add because this is a match that everyone talks about. Everyone remembers. I love this match. It love was this match. This beautiful. Is, it did everything it needed to do. And I think it should have closed the show. I agree. Because the I, shock of how... Hunter paralyzes Sean at the end should have been what you go off the air with. You, because leave, that's your you go off the air with Sean getting rolled out on a gurney. Right. Into, Always and, leave him wanting more. Into the back of an ambulance. And people are, you got people going, what? Holy shit. Like, I'm all for, you know, saying the youngest champion of all time. But I feel like this one should have closed as well. I agree. So, instead of having a match to cool off between the main event, we have a segment. Instead, Fink is in the ring with Trish, and he says, You're in an arena full of Long Island skanks, and you're one of them, I guess. Trish says, Hey, Fink, you have a sexy voice. Fink says, It's a dog-eat-dog world when you've got the puppies. And he's got the winner. I don't... I don't get it either. This is really gross. It was disturbing. Then they hug... And then he turns around, and Lillian has returned from the dead. She kicks Fink in I don't the nuts. Think she died, did she? I forget what angle. I mean, she was written off somehow. Yeah. So this is her triumphant return in the manager feud that you were all. Next, I mean, this the should definitely feud. Yeah, this is this goes on after Sean and Triple H. This was what you really came for, right? Yeah. To find oh, out who yeah. would be the announcer on Monday Night Raw. Lillian kicks Fink in the nuts, and that's the end of that. That's right. Lillian would have the job going forward, I guess. Okay. Fink would go work in the office somewhere. Cole and Taz get to call Rock and Brock, even though this is technically two different brands here. Rock defeated Kurt Angle and Taker at King of the Ring for the undisputed title. We get a sizzle reel F5 for Brock Lesnar, brother. The blood of Hulkamania is in his hands, and the blood of you, Rock, will be in his hand come SummerSlam. Okay. Training montage of Brock, including hitting the ice bath. Thanks for that.
title on the line. Who will go to SummerSlam to meet Brock Lesnar for the undisputed title? The first man to score pinfall or submission wins the match and therefore becomes the undisputed champion. The window! Rock bottom! Rock bottom! Rock bottom! Yes! It's over! It's over! The Rock! The Rock! The Rock is the undisputed champion of the WWE! Yay! Though I walk through the valley of the extreme, I fear not reprisals from my enemies, for I walk with the next big thing, Brock Lesnar! Brock, you're in the wrong place, the wrong year, with the wrong guy. The blood of Hulkamania is in my hand. And Rock, the blood of you is gonna be on my hand come SummerSlam. You know, Brock Lesnar, you wanna play games with The Rock? You think you wanna play mind games? Is that what you wanna do? You wanna send a message to The Rock? Well, The Rock's got a message for you. Just bring it! All I care about is being the absolute best. In my mind, I'm number one, always. I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel like I was number one. I don't care about being the biggest guy in the industry. I don't care about being the strongest. Outdo my opponent, always. In my mind, I'm number one. All I care about is being the absolute best. Brock makes fun of Brock's pre-match jumping around when he comes to the ring after Brock and gets belly to bellied. Good strategy, Rock. Run right in there and get your ass kicked. <laughs> this would be the theme of this match. Brock hits a couple of backbreakers to Rock, shoulder blocks to Rock in the corner, and Brock knees Rock to the outside where Heyman gets a cheap shot in. As I said, this monster, the next big thing, needs Paul Heyman's help for some reason. Brock hits a delayed press slam into snake eyes on Rock on the guardrail as they were fighting in the WWE Universe. Then they toss each other over the guardrail. They go back on the ring mats. Brock hits another belly-to-belly on Rock in the ring. Heyman trips Rock, and Brock drops some elbows on him. Heyman chokes Rock behind Mike Chioda's back. We get a power slam to Rock from Lesnar. Lesnar delivers some shoulders to The Rock. Then a belly-to-back suplex from The Rock as The Rock finally hits a move halfway through the match. Rocky sucks chance breakout. Wow, I almost think these were piped in. Both men kip up at the same time. Rock can't take the big man down with shoulder tackles, but he finally does with a DDT for a near fall. Rock tries to put on the shart shooter, but Heyman interferes, a leg whip into a shart shooter, and The Rock puts on that ugly looking sharpshooter. Do you call it what now? The shart shooter, because it's a shitty fart of a sharpshooter. It's the worst sharpshooter I don't know who kept telling Rock, yeah, that looks good, man. Keep doing it. Every match. Doesn't matter who it is. Keep doing it. Heyman distracts the ref, and Rock brings him in the ring. It's time to get his ass kicked. Rock is going to rock bottom Paul E. But Brock stops him. Brock grabs a steel chair and hits it into Rock's ribs, and then a bear hug. Oh, oh the mightiest of mightiest moves. Devastating. Lesnar keeps it locked in for a while before Rock fires up. Big right hands from Rock. Lesnar gets knocked out of the ring. Rocky catapults Lesnar into the turnbuckle post. Rock takes Heyman and Rock bottoms him through the Spanish announce table, so someone gets a rock bottom. By the way, the 10 count here never started uh, because they were outside the ring for a very long time. 
Lesnar sucks chants now break out, so I'm con- very confused at who is rooting for what here. What is going on here? Rock hits the rock bottom to Lesnar, but Lesnar, he's Superman. He's like Stone Cold. He gets to kick out at two. That's right. Brock hits a, I call it a Brock bottom for a two count. Then Rock hits the spine buster, goes for the people's elbow, but Lesnar clotheslines him. An F5, but Rock powers out at two. He tries a Rock bottom, but Brock powers out, hits an F5, and Lesnar defeats the Rock and is the youngest world champ ever in five months from March to August is all it took Brock Lesnar to climb the mountain, defeat the top star. Stars. Beat all the ECW guys. Was on the cover of the video game. Would uh, headline next year's WrestleMania. So he Knock won- himself out cold in he, the process. He won King of the Ring. <laughs> yeah. He pretty much. Now, no wonder this guy wanted to quit in 2004 because he had done it all. Won the Royal Rumble heading into WrestleMania. Wow. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty. He had done every single thing that you step in pro wrestling to accomplish. And he did it in a year. He did it in one year. Less than a year, really. Yeah. Pretty. What a rise. I mean, just what an incredible push this guy got. Huge. And you're damn right that at WrestleMania 20, when they booked Goldberg to beat him when they knew he was leaving, yeah, I'd be fucking furious too. After all I gave you, I gave you my whole company. Yeah. I sacrificed everybody for you. Yeah. You were the chosen one. Yeah. You were the real Jeff Jarrett, the chosen one. Yeah. You shit all on it because you were just bored yeah. and you wanted to go play in the NFL. As much grief as you gave one Stone Cold Steve Austin for walking out to refuse the job to Brock Lesnar. Of all the top guys, who wasn't going to be laying down for Brock, Patrick Young? It'd be your favorite wrestler, Shawn Michaels, because he never did. Wouldn't that be he the never logic? never wrestled him. Wouldn't that be the logical step, though? He's the hottest babyface out of this. Now, I know, say you didn't do the angle at the end with the... I mean, say this Hunter thing, you blew it off next month. But Brock went to SmackDown. Right. Why do you think that happened, though? Because Sean wasn't going to lose to this guy. But eventually, that should have been the match that they got Triple H wasn't going to lose to him, either. Not at this point in time in his career. Well, they were both heels, too, at this... Yeah, I mean, Hunter wasn't going to do the job. But it just goes to show you that it's not just Stone Cold that, you know. It's that Hunter and Sean were had different, you know, they were cozied up with the boss. You know, they had leverage that Austin didn't have because they were friends with the boss. Yeah. I mean, the boss is the dude's father-in-law, and you're his best friend, so you guys can just do whatever you want. Yeah. Well, Sean had leeway long before that Well, anyway. yeah, they loved him way before that. Yeah. And, I mean, even The Undertaker, you know, lost to Brock. That's true. It's just kind of shitty. I mean, I'm kind of upset, actually, looking back at it, that we never got Sean and Brock. Because I think that would have been a great match. See, I don't think so. Of course, because you hate Brock. So any match he's in, you're like, eh, I don't know about this. Well, well uh, you could put the best wrestlers in sell me, Sell me on the idea of Sean and Brock. Well, because it would be a lot like the AJ Styles-Brock match, I guess. Where I mean, I thought that was I didn't really like good. That. I don't see there's. I don't think there's much that they would be able to do. Is the problem? I think they. I think Sean could work with anybody. Oh well, yeah, I'm. I'm not. He had to wrestle Diesel, and I mean that was a terrible match, but he had to do it. I mean, I'm not denying he can't work with anybody. I'm just saying I don't. So overall, this card, uh, outside of Undertaker and Test, and I didn't care that much for the RVD Benoit match. It was okay. 
But overall, I thought this was a really good wrestling card, which is yeah. something that the WWE was not really known for yeah. in general. Top to bottom, and there wasn't a lot of bullshit on here. I mean, there was the stuff with Fink and Lillian, but that took like a minute. And you had a few backstage things, but it wasn't so much filler. Yeah. Which is what they have to do now, you know, instead of giving you great wrestling matches. Let's have some segments, you know, because you don't get enough of that on TV. Let's have the, you know, the drifter come out and play a song for you. Like, no, I'd rather just see a match without the drifter. Thank you, Elias, whatever. Really think they shouldn't have beat Mysterio because of what happens after this pay-per-view. Thought it was great they gave Edge a win, even though it made no sense. Uh, the Ric Flair and Jericho thing, that was heel v. heel, so it didn't matter who won. Uh, the Un-American, the tag team division was going to shit. Doesn't matter who wins the match. These guys, at least all four of those guys are good workers, though. You have to watch the Sean and Triple H match on this card. It's it's not a one-match card, though. It's a good watch start to finish. It never, I never feel stressed out about watching it because... It moves really fast. They're always it's always a match. You never want to hit that fast forward button. Where there's pay per views you'll be watching, you're like, Okay, I'm I'm getting bored with this skip. You never actually get that feeling with this card. Yeah. And I think that Sean and Triple H should have closed the show over the title, but you're trying I mean, the rocket ship that was carrying Brock Lesnar to the moon was not going to be put second from the top, you know. Yeah. And the rock who you got to come back early and would then disappear for six months. You're not going to waste him in the second to the top match. So uh, I understand why it went the way it did. And people that watch Raw are still going to be wanting to watch Raw. So it's not a huge hook. It's not like I have to hook you from watching something else. If you're a wrestling fan, you're going to watch. So what happened after this match is why I think that they shouldn't have beat Rey Mysterio because after this match, Stephanie came out on Raw and uh, Eric Bischoff had decided that Triple H somehow, despite losing the match, he's our number one contender and he needs a match with Brock. That's going to be the next program. Stephanie came out and said, guess what? Brock's my property and no more of this undisputed shit. He's not coming to Raw. So the week after that is the infamous Eric Bischoff shows up with a briefcase, invites Triple H to the ring, and says, hey, I got something for you, and just hands him the world title. Yeah. Big Goldie is back. No no tournament, no, hey, we'll try this, no. Nope. Just says, hey, Triple H, here you go, and Triple H grabs the belt, music goes off. The toughest match of his career, I tell you. I, it was a real nail-biter there if he would actually accept the belt, or just would have been great if... Triple H turned face and was like, I can't accept this, Bischoff. Like, I, I gotta earn it I gotta, first, yeah, I gotta change a heart. Now you have two dominant heels that don't want to lose to anybody at the top of the card on both brands. And now, and now, so now you need baby faces to work with them. So, Raw sent Undertaker to SmackDown so he could fight with Brock for a while. And then on Raw, you had RVD, the sacrificial lamb, to Triple H until Sean came back at Survivor Series. But even then, people that beat... Also, Brock got beat at Survivor Series. So it was, it's very odd how this is all working out. How it's like, oh, he loses tonight? I guess I'll lose tonight. Oh, yeah. he's going to win tonight? Guess who's winning tonight? Yeah. So they both lose their belts then. They get them back in short order. And then would just continue to... I mean, Triple H especially on Raw. Because at least on SmackDown, you had Rey Mysterio... That's why they should have booked him to win, so you'd have a baby face. 
I mean, even to take on Brock Lesnar, I mean, I know Vince is like, fuck that, he would never beat Brock. I don't know, Angle and Brock had a pretty good feud. Right, but then Brock was the babyface in that feud. So yeah, in a year, not only did Brock do all that he did, he also went from a heel to a face. Yeah. Had a heel win as a ti- had a heel title win on a big stage, and then had a face title win on WrestleMania stage. So he really did it all in this one year. Uh, had his manager leave him in two months. Yeah, time. had his manager leave him, not just you know quit and just disappear. No, he. Paul Heyman decided, I'll take the big show. And screwed him out of his title. Yeah. In, t- in two months from now. So, yeah, he had quite a roller coaster. I mean, it was always going up. It never went down. But uh, on, on Raw, this really, really set. I'd say this is when the down period of the company came because this is Triple H. I hope you like Triple H. Because you're about to get a lot of them. You, you are going to get all the Triple H you can handle and then some until John Cena runs in to save the day somewhere down the line because it's just all about Triple H on Raw. And we didn't have SmackDown around here to watch. This is when I don't think we had it. So, Or if it was, it was like Sunday at noon. It was like at a weird time because we didn't have UPN or whatever it was on. And uh, so, yeah, I didn't really like Triple H just fucking winning every week. And yeah. all them, and they also, in addition to this, like I said earlier, they dropped their mid card titles. I don't have an IC or a US champ to root for. I don't have a guy like Jeff Hardy. You know, like here's a guy that could potentially be a big time baby. F- no, 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 no. Can't have any of that. And it was just Triple H beating Booker T with one pedigree. That's what it was. That match was really the. Triple H era. So on our rating scale, yeah, where would you rate this? This is a very good show. On our rating scale of Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, I'm going to give this one a test, of course. Coincidental, I'm giving it a, a taker. So, Wow. We picked my favorite match of the night for our ranking system. <laughs> well, Patrick, that was SummerSlam 02. Where do we go from here? So we've stuck with this feud. Why not still stick with it? You see, we saw the return of Shawn Michaels last week. We saw this week the in-ring competition-wise return of Shawn Michaels. We've already reviewed Survivor Series 2002. If you want to listen to that, you're more than welcome to go back. So we're going to go a step further in what would be the quote-unquote end of the feud of HBK and Triple H. Or so we think... The feud that never ends can't have an ending. We're going to go to Armageddon 2002. Two out of three falls. We're going to see who is the true champion. Well, who can go through the three stages of hell? That's right. Which that's a rule, apparently, that there's three stages of hell. Two out of of three falls, three stages of hell. You find out about, just like they had in New Japan, really, a two out of three falls match, only WWE style, so of course have some gimmicks involved. Yeah. So we can't just have a boring old two out of three falls match. No. No one would like that. Cage match, street fight. Unsanctioned match. Ladder match. Inferno match. It was all there. All there they did all the one. matches uh, at once. They had a mud fight. 
They mud wrestled. They had a lingerie match. They had an evening gown match. This was a really incredible match. They did all the gimmicks. Everything. Chicago street fight. Uh, Texas, dumpster match. Texas death match. Judy Bagwell on a pole match. It was Vi- all done. Viagra on a pole. Yeah. Pinata on a pole. <laughs> Skins match. Tank Abbott. That was fucked up Big shit. Al. That was so fucked up shit right there. Well. <laughs> that was so messed up. That'll do it for this week. You know where to find us. It's late in the show, so. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always. My closing lines will close on. And bingo, bingo. Hunter and I hadn't talked in a year. Sean and I kind of aired out all our laundry with each other. Give Hunter a call and ask him to forgive me, mending that fence. He called Hunter and he just said, I thank you for the time on the road because before his marriage to me, the one that took care of him was Hunter on the road. Sitting at church, anyway, ring, phone rings, you know. I get out and leave. It's Bruce Pritchard. Sean, can you make it to TV Monday? I'm like, okay. TV. I tell Rebecca they want me TV Monday. So we do the NWO thing and I'm back. Well, Sean and I buried the hatchet. And then Sean called me one day and said, what would you think if I wanted to come back and just have one match? Would you be willing to work with me if, if I can get in shape to come back? And I said, God, I would love it. Sean came back and Sean hadn't wrestled in five years. You know, Sean was scared to death. There's some question as to how much Sean Michaels has left, but I can guarantee you this, he will give every bit of it tonight in this match. Sean and I went 45 minutes. I cannot fathom that he is still as good as he ever was five years later and never having wrestled in between. I would say Sean is the greatest worker I've ever been in the ring with just based on his ability. But when you add in that factor that after five years, it was like flash forward that he never missed a day. This just blows my mind sometimes when I think about it. I certainly couldn't do it. Roll up! Will it be? Can it be? <laughs> yes! HBK! My God, HBK! <laughs> you know, you hear the old expression, one of a million. I'm, he's one of like a hundred million in that every time Sean's ever been out of the business for injury reasons or whatever, when he steps back in, it's amazing. He was every bit the performer that he was when he left four years ago, maybe better.